OTB GAA Scale has opened the war definitely with the football pod Where are your power rankings now? The Royal Rumble that's coming our way Hurling pod versus football pod Will, you're a coward Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar Alright, it's Tuesday morning, it's half past seven uh, I'm here, Shane is here Shane, how are you? Good Welcome morning, back. how are things? Thank you very much Colm is also here, Colm, how are you? Morning, sir, welcome back, Shane Thank you If anybody wants to get involved this morning, we'd love to hear from you You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, youtube.com forward slash off the ball Make sure you hit subscribe You can text us on 0879180180 Or you can also, of course, uh, get us on Twitter at off the ball AM Shane, you were in the, in the Stratford End Stratford End, yes, yeah, for the, the Barcelona match Alright uh, cracking atmosphere, I have to say. Oh, your voice is still gone. Is it still gone, yeah? Yes. Uh, see, we had the, there was, of course, the, the Carabao final on Sunday. I didn't get tickets. Tickets were upwards of 1,300, 1,400 quid, which was fairly steep. And then uh, the snooker in between in Wolverhampton as well. You weren't shouting at the snooker, were you? I wasn't shouting. Um, or is the, is the atmosphere at um, Wolverhampton snooker competition? The Aldersley Leisure Centre in Wolverhampton. Oh, yeah. Which is exactly as it sounds. Um, and you get the little, come on, Sean, in between. You get the little shouts, um, which makes it enjoyable. It's a, great, it's a great sport to watch, snooker, in person. You get your beers to your seats. Some people have had maybe a too, few, too few many beers walking down the steps, the quite noisy steps. And then they have to stop every time there's a shot about to be played and then continue the steps. It takes them about three minutes to get down the stairs. It's quite hilarious. How um, many people are at the Aldersley Leisure Centre? I want to say there was maybe... There was upwards of maybe three, four hundred, possibly, right. in attendance. Uh, which is a decent crowd, decent atmosphere. But yeah, it was nothing compared to the Stratford End. And are tickets expensive for the snooker? They were actually reasonably expensive. We, we went to the quarters and semis and they were was £35 okay. per day kind of thing. So... I mean, it's it was worth it, to be honest. We, we were trying to kill a few days in between Thursday and Sunday, and it was the perfect way to do it. So why not? Yeah, yeah, okay. There's nothing else to do in, in all of England. In the broad sweep from Manchester down to London, there's nothing else to do apart from catch the snooker in Wolverhampton. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we actually watched the, the Caribbean final in Manchester in um, oh, okay, right. the Quadrant pub, which is in the shadow of Old Trafford. So got the atmosphere of the... The and um, pardon my Manchester knowledge not great but is, is the area around Man- uh, Old Trafford not a bit of a kip um, it's an industrial <laughs> area isn't it's it industrial yeah. Cholton Cholton come hardy I think was the area where we watched the, the match it's only about a 15 minute walk from the stadium uh, yeah it's, it's not as um, bleak maybe as around like it was at Aston Villa quite recently and it was reasonably bleak around the stadium spare me your water battery Shane but, yeah. um, Wolverhampton also fairly Bleak as it turns out. And is there not so? Is it a thing where Man United fans go to Old Trafford even when the game's not on? Um, I think those pubs certainly. Even there's the Bishop Blaze very close to Old Trafford, where there's chance before the matches and the, the Trafford Inn as well. A lot of fans would go there to watch games away um, whenever the team's away. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it was all locals. We were the only probably tourists in the room. But it's it's a pub with United jerseys and, and old photos and stuff on the wall. Is the quadrant? So uh, definitely, it was a, it was a good atmosphere. But. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe the atmosphere in the Stratford End on Thursday. It was unlike anything I'd ever... Like, I've been going to United matches for, for a long time, and um, that was something else. There's just a different feel around the club, uh, and I think that connection between club and supporters is at a level now where, where it hasn't been for, for years. The bandwagoners are back. Well, 
I don't know if it's that. Team is good again. I think it's just people. Is that it? The, the hardcore, are like, oh, okay, finally we have a team worthy of of our attention and love. Is that what you're saying? No. That's a kind of. It sounded like a little bit like what you were is saying. It not the, is it the, the opposite of the bandwagon effect? Because you were saying um, that the atmosphere was like nothing you've ever experienced at Old Trafford yeah. in recent times. So does that mean that it was quite partisan feel to it and passionate rather than the uh, day trippers? Yeah, I think so. I, I think. I, <laughs> Jared's not having that. <laughs> well, no, I know. I know wow. what you're trying to say. I know Post what you're trying to fact say. Rationalization that, that you can just no, do. no. It's a get a little NFT of that, folks. The it's a question, like, oh, really, we, more we, than we a were, statement, sir. Yeah, the atmosphere was always great tone. when the team was terrible. No, we we're, we were. It, we, it's all. This is our version of us being relegated to the second tier and following the team week in, week out. That's no, it. No, I, I, look, we had to live through the Glazer era where they were the highest spenders in world football. Yeah. It's terrible. Which is still ongoing. And by the way, sorry, see this this idea and notion that this notion that Manchester fans only chant anti-Glazer chants when the team is losing? I can tell you for a fact. Stratford end 2-1 up against it. Barcelona like really really vitriolic hatred of the Glazers and I know, I know it was there at uh, Wembley as well on, on Sunday but um, you get extra bonus points for that Shane yeah 100% but uh, it, it was just um, it was incredible it was something different I also I, I felt like I could do no wrong so I wouldn't be much of a gambling man but um, before the game I had a I had a dream the night before the Barcelona match that Fred was going to score so I put a few quid on Fred anytime goal scorer against Barcelona which it was a fairly random shout. Some finish. Some finish. And then I was in the I'd pub with, with the brother before the match, uh, the, the Carabao final, and I was um, just flicking through a couple of odds. And 12 to 1, Casemiro, man of the match. And I was like, ah, pfft. I mean, 100%. Casa, Casemiro, if he, if, he, if he plays well, he gets man of the match. He, he's just one of those people who cleans it up. He's like Parchi Song, a big game player. And um, it turns out it was, a, it, was a, it was a nice one. Casemiro, man of the match. life could not be better at the moment. I was on Instagram there this morning and it was his birthday, celebrated with the family, oh. wife, his two kids, a boy and a girl in a lovely house, turns 31, just uh, scored the first goal in a 2-0 win in United's first trophy in six years. Everything's coming up, Casemiro. Ah, and the way he was giving it loads to Bruno Fernandes after the match, saying, why didn't you pass? Yeah, that was interesting. In a kind of a joking way as well. Uh, I was listening to the show yesterday, lads, on the way, on the way back. I was driving to, or the brother was driving rather, I was in the passenger seat from um, Manchester to Hollyhead to get the ferry and uh, listening to the show, performance rankings and uh, Nathan's take on, on Bruno Fernandes. I couldn't believe it. Like, sorry, all Manchester United fans at the moment, granted, Bruno Fernandes, I can see how op- opposition fans would think, ah, yeah, he's, he's a bit of a dose, he, he goes down fairly easily. But, I mean, Bruno Fernandes has been very, very important for, for United in this, if you want to call it a rejuvenation. Are you trying to sorts? manufacture goodwill towards you now? No, the hang on. I, I, no, no, no. no. I, I, I'm sorry. I, just, we, you keep going here saying, I, I do want to say, though, right, like, um, yeah, I was facilitating the... the um, Performance rankings yesterday. I'm not a Manchester United fan. I haven't watched every single second yep. of every game. Unlike Colm, who has, he just sat there and took that. He just sat there and let, no, uh, let Nathan, that, as you saw, and let, and let Nathan go with that. It was like, but did yeah, you not yeah, hear yeah. what I said? I, I, saw mean, his, I saw his point to an extent. I saw his point. So you agree I with did, him? No, I saw I saw elements of his point. If I disagreed with him, uh, I would have um, illustrated the point. I have, you, I have to say I disagreed with him. I was like, no. I, I think he's been, he hasn't been great this season, but I, uh, he, I'm not forgetting the contribution that Bruno Fernandes has made. United could end up, did he not start badly and then be brilliant for like about 15 games? Was he... Was, you know, played a lot of minutes as well. He, by the way, he was bad when everyone else is bad. He just hasn't come along with the rest of them, in my opinion, by his own high standards. I think the the day Ronaldo went out the door, he's, the he's improved. He's gone that way, and it's like he's been brilliant. He's 
I wouldn't say he's been brilliant. I, I think, think he he's has. by his standards, I think he's slightly underperforming. But I, you know, he's he's had a huge contribution to United. He has more left in the tank. Positive. Is that your point? He's mm-hmm. more he's more left in the tank. Yeah, I think I think everyone's raised their level to a certain standard, and he hasn't quite got there by his own high standards. So I definitely saw truth in. Um, in Nathan's point, like I think this, we're all talking about Rashford, but I think it wouldn't have been like what Rashford is doing right now wouldn't have been possible without Bruno Fernandes. Like he's been key cog, he's been freed up by Ronaldo leaving. There's no doubt about that. But he's been a key like well, one of the first names in the team sheet. Has he also not now got a very bespoke job in a team where you have a job and everybody if they do their job properly they're going to win more games than they lose, as opposed to uh, keep coming back to the tactically anarchic. And that's gone, and so now he fulfills a role, and it's less flashy and less showy, and, and maybe a little bit less obvious. And is it, I don't know that, that that would have been my take on it. But it was just interesting that you threw him overboard at the first opportunity when Nathan was there, and, and your first act is to stick it to Nathan when he's not here to defend himself either, Shane. So well, look, Manchester United fans covering themselves in glory this morning is well, all I'm uh, saying. The fact that you're raising that point suggests that you disagreed with Nathan's take. I, I, because otherwise, I, mean, I said you I was facilitating the conversation. Yeah, but because otherwise, I think it's a fair point that I said. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, I don't. Um, I don't have to disagree if I, no, just no, because you know. No. I did. I did think. <laughs> no, it's fine. There's there's definitely elements of truth to it. I didn't think he was great on Sunday. I don't think he needed to be great. Your point, Shane, about Rashford's form what's his role? improving because of Rashford. What's of Fernandez? I would say like maybe Casemiro's. Uh, influence, oh, yeah, Rafa Brand, Lissandro Martinez, the manager, of course. With Fernandez, my overall point is definitely not as strong as Nathan's in terms of he's been a big disappointment. It would be halfway between yourself and Nathan. I think he has more to go and by what, his own but, high standards. But, but what are your expectations? That he's still the same, I'm doing everything, I'm carrying the team on my shoulders? Or is he not just actually like generally taking the ball, keeping the ball, and when an opportunity presents itself trying to play the killer pass or probing the defence three or four times until one of those comes off. I think Bruno Fernandes' biggest strength is probably his numbers, his goals and assists. So he has a fantastic knack of, or had a fantastic knack of scoring vital goals and regular goals and um, was great for an assist. And I think if you take away those two elements of his game, he's a perfectly fine to good to very good midfielder and that's what he is you can't just that, take away the goals and assists that, that's, that's, that's the that's report but yeah but I mean, at the moment you're not getting that from him so the other side of it is that he isn't this really expressive creative midfielder I don't think anyway I think he's a very very functional at the highest level high octane functional midfielder right. with a real goal scoring threat you, and I just think he has more to give what did you know the Campos say if my grandmother had wheels she'd be a bicycle like if, if you take out his goals and assists no but, but that's my point at the moment that you are taking away his goals and assists and then what are you left with and that element of his game he could improve it's just the high I think Fernandez has been one of the best things that happened to Manchester United for the last three years 100% okay. I just think he can be better 7.40 this morning OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning uh, Tommy Rooney is going to join us uh, in about 20 minutes time 15 minutes time it says there to take us through the uh, latest edition of the GA Power Rankings the Football ones. Derek McDamara is going to join us in the studio to run through the stats to see how well our two tens so far uh, compare against each other and also against Finn Russell who it turns out is player of the tournament in many people's uh, eyes so far certainly in the English papers uh, we've got sports news we call at 8.45 Tom Ingness is going to talk to us about Celtic and maybe a little bit of Scottish rugby uh, Tom Dempsey is going to talk Wexford Hurling at 9.15 and uh, we'll play out some James Ryan goodness at half past nine sorry Mike at um, half past nine this morning if you want to get in touch we'd love to hear from you uh, two things we want to talk about before we go any further the FIFA awards and then also Chidozeg Benny uh, man of the match last night scores for Rotherham versus Swansea one all draw Ryan Manning assists Swansea's goal like seconds into the game 
Ogbenna gets a chance and it comes off the crossbar off the upright off the post yeah lower post left footer 20 yards out and you're like oof and uh, were they 1-0 down at half time uh, yeah well Swansea were 1-0 up yes they were 1-0 down at half time yeah. um, and they kind of need to start scoring but uh, come with the hour come with the man he said afterwards that the um, transfer speculation hasn't settled and let's hear a little bit of him talking to I think this is BBC Sheffield You know, there's a few people that have been questioning your kind of performance levels over over recent weeks. Yeah. So to get a goal and, and put that in, that must have been big for you tonight. Yeah, I think you know playing for this club means a lot for me. And I think the gaffer sat me down and said maybe I'm trying too hard. And I think um, that was really special for me just to you know just to calm my nerves because I really you know I really want to do well for this team and want to do well for this club. And uh, sometimes when you try too hard, you you do too much damage. So I think I just came out here and Wayne was making it clear and and uh, before the game. Just to play calm and play free, and don't try to worry about too much. Take it um, one time, you know, one step at a time. I think it really helped me massively because we're all human beings. Um, no matter how much games you play, sometimes you can tense up and make mistakes. And I'm just so happy I had that support around me. Um, it's uh, it's Matt Taylor who is the manager. It's not the Matty Taylor, is it? Is it? Uh, I find with Ogbeni, um, his attitude is remarkable. He's um, he has so much self awareness about where he is as a footballer and his need to improve. Just supreme attitude, and I know that Deckham's first team coach at Cork City and trained Benny when he was junior in Cork and said, "This is the exact same guy you're seeing now." He used to chop him to training, and they discuss his performances in both training and matches. And Ogbeni's uh, first reaction each time was to point out his mistakes and where he can improve. And he's just has such a huge appetite to get better as a footballer. And here you are now in the championship. He's his club's top scorer with eight goals and two assists. And uh, for those who didn't see the goal last night, it was so well taken. Talking because very well. He, he basically slipped on the ball six yards out and obviously many players would panic in that situation but he readjusted and a lovely improvised finish and a Just crucial goal it. for a point and then it could have been an Irish loving because Georgie Kelly had a chance to win it for Rotherham right at the end keeper made a great save I don't think it's Matty Taylor no it's not no, Roy it's, story. It's, um, it's another Matt Taylor uh, turns out it's a common enough name that's unfortunate that would have been a good core connection there mm. um, it's great for him to be back scoring goals he, he went on to say in that interview that the recent transfer speculation as he said he's only human had unsettled him a bit but um, just coming into a bit of form at the right time yeah, I like this. I like I like Irish strikers getting uh, rumored with transfers because it means they're doing something right. A striker doesn't get linked with clubs unless they're scoring goals. Let's yeah, be honest. And he's oh, but Femi scored at the weekend off the bench. Now he just needs to get into that team because if he can get into that team, they're doing so well. He could stay in that team and go on a, a, a scoring rip. Mm. Um, so all of a sudden, the street and Adam Eid is back fit. There's a bit of strength in that. I did want to put Ireland strikers in green a few weeks ago. I got overruled. You did? You're looking like Muppets now, lads. Should have, should have let me do that. We would have been like, oh, as we said five weeks ago, it's all coming up roses mm. from an Ireland striking perspective. Did we but, not do um, it? No, I we didn't. No, we no. didn't do it. He's a great man for hindsight. Like, yeah, it was, I know. Um, funny, isn't it? At the time, it didn't make any sense. It makes, sense no, it makes now, perfect like, sense now. Yeah. yeah. You can, like the new, that's like the, the whole point about seeing around corners. It's like Newcastle take. It's like, oh, too late now. It's like, oh. Well, you've changed. I never said they could finish top four. Oh, the Ireland striker. I didn't change my take uh, see they've gathered momentum now they are strikers so hey, the, point, the point means more yeah, now. but you see like Evan Ferguson getting linked with Newcastle as well in the last 24 hours or so which <laughs> fills me with I don't know what but uh, um, look. it makes sense Dan Ashworth is at Newcastle now who of course at Brighton previously yeah. so knows Evan Ferguson very well so I look, think, oh, I think I presume that's just handy for everybody. It's like, oh, this guy. Yeah. Who are the former players who have played under him who are doing quite well at the moment? Uh, okay, yeah. Well, that's just like that's 
I mean, if you were... Comparison with Alan Shearer in one of the Newcastle uh, papers at the weekend. Which is no pressure whatsoever. We've obviously been leading the hype train. It's time for it to just, like... We'll just, we'll just pull into the station there and just refuel. And um, after he scores a hat-trick against France, we can all get carried away again. 100%. Is it good for us or bad for us that the pictures of Kylian Mbappe in the papers this morning are of him brooding darkly about not being given awards last night? Is this a good thing or a bad thing for Ireland? I think it's irrelevant. Well, the, the individual awards aren't going to affect the, the demostra he may well inflict on us. Well, uh, uh, fully tuned in, angry... Vicious killing Mbappe, he's not going to have any impact. But he's always like that. He's always got a, he's always got a bone to pick with someone, doesn't he? Um, like usually, killing Mbappe makes up a reason to be angry. Um, turns out he's a good footballer when he's angry. So hopefully he's not that angry when he comes to Dublin. But it's certainly not going to. It's not going to help. I mean, I'm sure the Irish centre halves are, are currently taking up a. You know, coming up against it. I guess he's coming down that right hand side, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, like Seamus, Seamus Coleman. Playing well at the moment. Yeah, Matt Hardy can't get a game. Matt Hardy zero minutes at the moment. Well, you can't displace the World Cup winner Molina. He took the winning penalty for Edge. Well, yeah, yeah it's fair. Um, but, but Coleman starts that game, doesn't he? I, I think so. Certainly, I, I don't. I don't see any credible alternative unless you start Coleman on the on the uh, right of a three, and you also have to already there so that they they're doubling up. Does Benya start now because of the goals? Yeah. Well, it it definitely adds to the options up front. It'll be really interesting to see who he picks in the final third against France. Mm. I think the one thing you have to go for is players that are playing, which is kind of rules out Doherty, unfortunately. Even though he's at you know he's the most high profile club that we have. Yeah. Um, but if he's not playing, he just can't play against France. There's no uh, universe where he doesn't start Evan Ferguson, is there? Fitness-wise, uh, I guess, wise, I guess uh, very surprised if he didn't. I, I, well, he hasn't started a game yet, has he? Or has he started against? He's come back from injury. Uh, the only he did uh, recently, yeah, he got subbed. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, the only thing would be that they don't think he's fully fit, or it would be too much yeah. of a load for him. But it's such a big game, you know. Everybody wants to see it. Oh, throw him in, lads! Throw him in. Can you imagine? I can see it now. That Evan Ferguson winner. That's what's going to happen. I've seen it now. I mean, I called Fred and Casemiro. I'm calling Evan Ferguson. Seeing it all, that's it's going to happen. Um, but look, the fact that Stephen Kenny has options is a good thing. Yes, options are good. Um, I, I think there's a good chance Ogbeni starts, but if Obafemi, like his record of uh, big goals for Ireland, is something that you don't forget as a manager. Yeah, and Ogbeni's a brilliant, brilliant substitute to have, especially if we're going to be chasing the game at some point, which we might be. Yeah, I mean, and he's got a little bit of pace as well, a bit of aggression and physicality to his game. Um, and, and those French centre halves, I mean, Open Meccano's a unit as well. So, like, you might want an Obafemi in there. Uh, Evan Ferguson, of course, fits that bill as well. So, I, I'd be fascinated to see who he, who he opts for. It's probably the forward options are the most complicated for Stephen Kenny. Uh, in a good way, because he has that strength and depth. We've got the options, and uh turns out now they're all coming into form at the, at the right time. So, long may that last. Yes, the big winners in the FIFA Awards last night. Football's biggest bastard won uh, goalkeeper. <laughs> I love the way you can and see who voted for who as well. Like it's yeah, that's a fantastic addition. So you can go onto the FIFA website. There's no hiding. And click on about two-thirds of the way down the page of all the winners. You can actually click on each category and see who voted for who. So uh, it goes for the captains of every country and the managers of the countries as well. Unfortunately, now that we're live on air, this actually takes a while to generate each player's or each captain's choice, a manager's choice. But Seamus Coleman, his voting is exactly what happened. So we have it on screen there as one example of it. 
So obviously it's very hard to see. But Seamus Coleman, for example, yeah, yeah. that's an example of what you'll actually see if you go onto the FIFA website. So if you see something like that, like that kind of spreadsheet look there, you're in the right place. Coleman. Seamus Coleman's votes, Lionel Messi, Kylian Mbappe and Karim Benzema, which I believe was the top three. Stephen Kenny's gone for Mbappe for his first, Messi and then Haaland for third. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry, what were the actual top three again? Give it to us again, Colm. You had Messi, you had Mbappe, and you had Benzema. In in that order? Yeah, one to three. So Real Madrid Descending didn't show order. up yesterday because they knew what was going to happen. They were like, oh, too much weight has been placed on the World Cup. It's like, yeah, okay, well, well done, Real Madrid. You yeah. kind of have to wait the World Cup, don't you? I mean, because, like, you know. It's, it's the World Cup. It's also the FIFA World Cup, and these are the FIFA Awards, where <laughs> FIFA are going to tell you that the most important thing is their thing. <laughs> you know? It's possible that at the UEFA Awards, the Champions League might have... A slightly higher weighting, mm. but you know, the clue is in the name there, Real Madrid. Jermaine Genus on hosting duties as well. I saw congratulating Casemiro on stage for his for his Carabao Cup final win. Um, your mate Jermaine, of course. Jermaine, of course, yeah, yeah. Where was he impressed by your five side skills? JJ, never... I call him. Right, because we're we're on first name basis now. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. Um, oh, he was impressed. He was impressed. He assisted one of my goals. One of my goals. He's very good. Uh, being the term no, that we use there. We we. we Sneak that in there. Don't need to explain it to us. Yeah, of course. We, we got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Colin was bragging about his five-a-side antics last week, wasn't he? Seven-a-side, yep. rather. <clears throat> Seven-a-side, so, yeah. That was has to be good, done. Yeah. Continuing my comeback. Um, Is there anything controversial about this? Like, Emmy Martinez, of course. He, he he won the Golden Gloves, of course. He's, is it Golden Glove? Golden Glove. Stephen Kenny, in terms of the best coach, voted for Scaloni first, Ancelotti second, Deschamps third, whereas Coleman... When it comes to the coaches opted for Scaloni uh, Regragui of uh, Morocco and Angelotti third, so mm. I like it's hard to argue with any of these. You, you 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 want someone to have voted for someone mental, like just a, a complete left field shout. Oh, there was loads of those. There, I mean, there were yeah. in the Philippines. The Philippines captain uh, voted Jude Bellingham second best player in the world, and he is <laughs> Birmingham City defender. So a lot of politics at play. Uh, Kitty McCabe. Um, went rogue so she voted for Beth Mead Sam Kerr and Leah Williamson an England loving but it was Alexia Pateas who retained it uh, to a bit of a controversy um, such a high profile player of course uh, but didn't have exactly the most fantastic last 12 months by her standards but she won it again and uh, a retention is the first player to retain it as well so uh, her high stock continues but uh, not according to McCabe anyway it should have been an England fest Mm. And it was in the goalkeeper side. Mary Earps got goalkeeper uh, in the women's game. Turns out Ben, are, um, just search, uh, searching Bellingham here, he got, he got 18. He was mentioned in 18 players, top three. Well, he, he had a, a, a voguish World Cup where there was a, a you know one of those games where he was basically unplayable. But then yeah. it wasn't quite as effective for the rest of the tournament. So, and that's what you expect with young players. Ralph Reinick picked Bellingham third. He went Messi, Mbappe and Be- Bellingham. I mean, you forget you forget Ralph is in charge of an international team. Austria, Austria yeah. manager. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to look out for the results, actually. Um, yeah, no, look, it's a handy insight to have. To but but you see, we say that, that right? It adds something to it, but for us, so we can see who voted for who. But then it also does it take away a little bit of the legitimacy because then you see some players voting for teammates because they know their teammates are going to read this. They're like, yeah, oh, I yeah vote but for that's them. that's how. Do that's you want that? Oh, is how it works? You know. But is anonymous voting not more accurate? Uh, I think I maybe you don't get everybody to vote if you do it anonymous. You're like, oh, I don't know, I was going to find out, so how am I going to do it? You know? Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, it adds to it. There's As Kathleen said before the show, um, if your own teammates don't vote you, number one, 
does that mean you can possibly be the best player in the world? That might mean they think that you're like a bit of an asshole. That's all. Well, I was thinking as a personality clash. They, they have personal information, in, insight into what kind of a teammate you might be, or or you took their parking space. You know, like yeah, love if it was that petty. Oh, I, I mean, we're talking about elite sports people. Every slight along the way from the time that they were under six has managed to propel them to their greatness. The motivation, the bitterness keeps you strong mm. and I improving. Took that personal. Uh, you, you, I suppose you need to do that. If you don't vote, yeah. If, if, you, if you don't vote for your teammates, who's going to vote for you? Do you know, or who's going to vote for them? I mean, but then sometimes you, you play against the player and you're like, well, they were unbelievable. And you're like, well, I can't vote for my teammates over that. You, you, you want to avoid a little bit of the, little bit of the bias, so. Was it Sophie Ningle didn't vote for Kerr, her teammate? You get a lot of that. Seamus Coleman voted for uh, Carlo Ancelotti. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder what kind of a relationship they, um, they had. Um, Carlo Ancelotti has likened Seamus Coleman to Sergio Ramos in the past. <laughs> but he didn't... Um, he, he was the one who said, oh, we haven't got to deal with him because he's got an endless deal. Um, I wonder does Coleman have issues with Emi Martinez because his top three goalkeepers were Courtois number one Yassine Bounou the Morocco keeper Sorry, okay, so this is Thibaut Courtois who was man of the match against who? in in what game? Liverpool yeah, well, Liverpool in the Champions League well that's the point isn't it? Seamus Coleman is going to the Everfans look what I did I voted Thibaut everybody look <laughs> I voted for Thibaut Courtois maybe that's it but like I mean there's no politics there there's just like Absolute. Uh, I'm Kenny also went. Rest. Kenny went Courtois, Allison, and then Emmy Martinez third. Whereas Coleman had Edgerson third. Yeah. He had Edgerson third. Uh, Coleman had Edgerson third, and uh, Kenny went Courtois, Be- uh, Allison, and Emmy. Yeah, you can't leave Emmy Martinez out, can you? I know Seamus Coleman, as you say, has his has his reasons, but I think you got to include him potentially. I mean. He's up there. Like Courtois was a lot of it. Who won the, the glove? Emmy Martinez, you were saying? Yes. Okay. You can't really argue. Maybe it is the World Cup too much weight. He kept the it? most clean sheets in the World Cup and his country won the whole thing. Oh, and he also but saves, like, at the very last minute of the game, he's like, produced a world class, all time great save in the World Cup final to keep that one the World and one, Cup. Yeah. But does Courtois' performance in the Champions League final not come into this uh, time sphere as well? It does, yeah, but. Uh, I I think if you win the World Cup and... To go back to the bit... FIFA, UEFA, is that it? FIFA World Cup. FIFA World Awards. Right? Okay, so... That's it. So the Champions League doesn't count. Champions League does count, but it counts less. There's one every year. Well, that's a fair point, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make it any less important. There should be a World Cup every year. Come on. Uh, No, there shouldn't. It's like the Allianz Leagues, we want more. Speaking of the Allianz Leagues, there's a suggestion floated today about bonus points. Ah, I VPs. I like it. I like it. I, there haven't been there have been far less goals in both hurling and football this year than last. In so the what are we giving the bonus points for? Four goals. <laughs> Four goals is a lot, isn't it? I don't know what the suggestion is in the examiner, but but I think uh, maybe you get a bonus point for three goals. For three goals, maybe three goals. I mean, that would lead to like the Clare hurlers would have got. Two bonus two points? Bonus points. So you get an extra, super extra bonus point. I think if you get deserved. six, we give you three bonus points. Maybe, yeah. But it's along the Six Nations format, isn't it? Um, there probably is a way you could... Could I suggest that maybe we get three points for a win first? Like, so that the draws don't... So the two draws don't equal a win? Yeah, the like, draws have a massive impact. They're absolutely, completely outsized. Mm. 
you know, you could basically draw your way to safety. It's like, well, you didn't win a game. Is that why you see? But so you were unbeaten. <laughs> but you didn't win a game. But yeah. you were unbeaten. That's true. Like well, you see, so many draws in the in the, in the football, especially, um, and maybe that's it. Teams are like, well, yeah, two of these, and, and we're grand. There's 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 a win. Um, so yeah, I I, I managed to I caught the Monaghan Ross Common game on the on the Gia goal there at the weekend, uh, as predicted. As you yeah. predicted, so it was. Well, like, I was yeah. picking up Ross Common all week, but I knew I, I feel him on and would, would get need, the job done. Needs must. Yeah, I, this, this is the thing about Division One and Division Two football, especially. In fact, all the, all of the leagues in football, the team that needs the po- points most, generally speaking, will get them. With some notable, uh, some exceptions, of course. <laughs> but like Ross Common didn't need anything from that. From that, Kildare and Meath definitely well, desperately need points. You think Kildare will? I mean, two relegations in two years would not be. Would not be good for a for a county that has the pedigree of Kildare. Not great, no. Uh, I think they'll stay up, they'll, they'll be safe enough. Won't they? I'm not sure. No. I mean, uh, Limerick have so far been very bad, but Kildare have uh, also been very bad. And so therefore, it's like, it's right there, you know. Um, the Loud game this weekend is the whole hinge point. If they win this, I think they'll go on and they'll get six points. If they lose this, they're going down, I think. Um, you know, so it would be between them and Clare and Limerick. But like... You can see Clare pulling something out. Well, Clare are the like the cockroaches of Division Two, aren't they? Well, they've lost two games now with five or six point leads by not scoring in the last ten minutes against Kildare and Dublin, mm. which would suggest they're like playing relatively well and that their form is, is relatively consistent. And if they just get over the line in um, one more game, their scoring difference is vastly superior to Kildare, who got hockey by Cork and who got hockey by Derry at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Derry. I can't see any team uh, usurping Derry in Ulster this year. They're just too good. And this isn't me playing um, cheekiness, bigging up Derry, but I actually think they're they're just unstoppable. Oh, Derry are legitimate All-Ireland contenders on the basis of the uh, quality, strength and depth, the evolution in their attacking play. Um, sure, look, uh, why don't we put this to, uh, to Tommy in our... Um, uh, power rankings which are, are imminent a reminder OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day and uh, of course Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball new Braeburn locations are popping up every month visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience and make sure you stay tuned to our Twitter account in particular because we give away 100 euro of Applegreen Braeburn goodness every week uh, up next Tommy Rooney's much updated and much demanded football power rankings so many critics, these pundits. Generally speaking, I'd be a fan of off the ball. Exactly, and like Tommy knows his football, obviously, listening to football pod the odd time. And I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus almost still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. But they just dismissed you like, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Ah, the new sting, I hadn't heard that. Very good. <laughs> mm. Tommy, how are you? Morning, lads. What's going on? It's getting serious when the sting's in place. Oh. There you go. Um, yeah. Uh, you have some... Uh, you've got a rider here, you know, no blue M&M's or only blue M&M's. Uh, yours is, don't ask me any questions until we get to the end because they're so contentious. There are so many rips in the space-time continuum that if we were to get into every single one of them, we'd be here until uh, Tuesday fortnight, by which stage that's, they'll be updated that's, again. That's the thing. I, I took on the feedback last week that the people wanted the power rankings and I sat down last night to do them. And you know what? I think it's better when we have that little bit more evidence. So we'll, we just get into it because you'll see. Okay. This, before, this is, before we do that, I'm I'm desperately trying to like. I, I, we, Owen hadn't established these are just correct, right? And it mm. was it was his um, 
giant brain slash ego that allowed him to get away with that. But you're taking a far more scientific approach to this. Mm. Can I ask <sighs> you? So for me, I am, I am and I am a Dodger. For me, the power rankings are if there was an All Ireland final and every other game was played between these two teams this week, this week on the basis of what we know, as opposed to because otherwise. For the last number of years, Dublin would always have been because until they get until they get toppled, you have to respect everything they've done in Croke Park in every final where they've always managed to come back and win, right? Up until the bit where eventually they got beaten. But for me, that's what this power rankings are today. If we were to play a game... So then the rankings wouldn't change at all. No, they would, they would change because they would change on the basis of the information at the weekend. Like, players are injured, uh, players not in form, players not fully fit. So, like, Kerry aren't fully fit at the moment. And they don't have everybody available to them. And so, therefore, I wouldn't have them number one in the power rankings this week. But that that's just mm-hmm. me. I think your take is who's going to win the All-Ireland this season. Is it? Um, yeah. Like, there's nothing else matters. Nothing else matters in the power rankings unless you win Sam. So I like, know, but I want reactionary. I want a massive but, overreaction but, conversation. Have oh. you seen them? Have you seen what's happened to, to some of the counties? Well, let's go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. So yours, yours is... Yours is who is the best team in the country and most likely to win the All-Ireland is what you have and then it's ranked from 32 to 1. Is that what I... I put... Yeah, yes. Yes. Just I put value on form on the league. I think the league is one of our best competitions. I actually think this season it's actually been devalued because of how tight the season is. So I watched Tyrone on Saturday night. By God, I hope they have their eye on Monaghan in, in Ulster because I just couldn't get my head around how far off it they were. Um... And then again, it is February. But when I say it is February, it is so tight until championship starts. It's five weeks. Championship starts in five weeks' time. So it's. Uh, I just think that the power rankings, it needs to represent how tight this uh, calendar is because we're getting into the business end of the season really, really quickly this year. Okay. 32 to 1. Okay. 32, Waterford, haven't moved. Um, Give a little bit of context on the football pod this week so I won't move any further than that. Carlo, 31st. Two defeats in the last two weeks. 15 point loss to Leitrim. They are bottom of the fair play table. Carlo have had five red cards, three on Sunday. And Whoa! <laughs> One of the reasons why they've moved so quickly far down. London down two as well. So Carlo and London both down two. Disappointing so far after running Leitrim so close. Two seven point defeats back to back. Two teams have moved up and that's Wicklow and Wexford. Both up two. Uh, Wicklow bet London. Um, with a huge win before sorry before a huge win against Leash Wicklow were 5-1 to one at the weekend even though they'd beaten Leash in the Leicester Championship last year so Bucky's got that one wrong um, and they made a mockery of the pre-match power rankings too so I had to move them forward and Wexford alongside Wicklow have a bit of an outside shot now of promotion from Division 4 they've had a couple of big big wins so they bet Leitrim at home and then bet Waterford moving on so Longford, Leash and Leitrim haven't changed Sligo haven't changed but after that very few counties have been safe Tip with a consecutive double drop. Despite picking up a first point of the campaign, they just, it was up against Longford. Two teams that can't buy a win and they couldn't buy it at the weekend. They drew. They've also lost Stephen O'Brien since their last chapter. So that's another key player. Tipper in trouble. Antrim have moved forward. One, a first win against Tipperary, but they have a bad habit of losing games in the last minute at the minute, lads. I don't know if you've seen it, but they were uh, in command against Down, in command against Fermanagh. They conceded 1-3 in injury time and... It's agonising, but they've got to find a way of getting past that. Offaly down one after a decent start. They've lost the last two games to promotion contenders, Westmead and Cavan. They're going to end up where I thought they'd end up, which is middle of the pack. Fermanagh, good teams find a way to win. We mentioned Antrim there. Well, Fermanagh have found a way 
two weeks in a row to win back-to-back games in injury time. Sean Quigley, their main man, has inspired it with two uh, two goals that he flicked in uh, somehow in injury time and have come back to win it. But Ulton Kellum has been having a big influence there. He's somebody who had a bit of exposure to the AFL. So keep an eye on Ulton Kellum this year and see how he gets on. Limerick are down to 19th. So they're 0 from 4. They got smashed by Cork. They just seem to be in a bit of disarray. Division 2 just might be that level above for where they're at. Um, they also have the worst score difference in the county, in the country. 18th down have quietly moved forward once more. Another huge comeback win against Westmead at the weekend. They were, they'd only kicked four points, lads, after 50 minutes of play. But they kicked 1-7 um, without response then. In the last, oh, sorry, 1-5 without response. Westmead didn't score um, to edge that game by a point. They are now in the promotion hunt and they're playing Cavan this weekend so keep an eye on that game because if Down managed to turn over Cavan who are cruising through Division 3 they are absolutely in the promotion hunt Loud this is a bit of a contentious one Rocked into Navin at the weekend they emerged with two massive points they're only in 17th place that could change on our next power rankings because the other two teams in Leinster could slide the other three teams in Leinster could slide a lot more Louder in 17th place um you just have to prove it now. That's that's where I'm having that. So um, we'll move on, will we, to the third slide? Yeah, I mean, we'll come back to Loud, obviously. But go on. Yeah. Kildare 16th. I still think they were blessed to beat Clare. And unfortunately, I think they showed their true colours again on Sunday, which is mind-boggling. I just can't get my head around how it's so bad at home in Newbridge. Maybe it's a psychological thing. Maybe they're feeling the pressure and the heat from the commentary of the Clare fans, or the Clare fans who seem to think that I just don't know how it's gone so bad so quickly. Maybe we can talk about that again, but it's just dire straits at the minute. The one thing I'll say to them, the one caveat is they have two local derbies left to save their skin. They've got Loud in RD and they've got Mead at home. So they've got to win that next game. They can still survive. Um, so they didn't slide any further after that win against Clare, but 16th place. Um, Cavan, 15th. Cruising through Division 3 as expected, but will that harden them for Ulster? hard to see and I think they need a run to the Ulster final to make um, the All-Ireland series this year so I don't see Cavan um, raising much higher Mead have slipped back to 14th lucky not to slide further defeats to Derry and Loud have them in a bit of bother the mood has changed a little bit they need to get the finger out big game next week against Limerick you'd expect them to win that after that they're going to have to pick up another point West Mead have moved back one they've won one they've lost one perhaps that place being guaranteed in time has let them take their eye off the ball a wee bit Um Sources have suggested that Jack Cooney is back involved, which is interesting. Um, and yeah, like Westmead are, are where they're at. They, they should be getting promoted to Division 3, but um, maybe they're going to let me down in terms of where I had them in the power rankings. Cork, up to James who's Cork, as it was Christened this week mm-hmm. on the football pod. Um, look at lads, Cork are the tip of a glove and the width of the post away from actually being in the mix to knock Dublin out of promotion places, which would have been some shock. Because if Dublin go on to lose to Derry this weekend, which I'd expect, Cork possibly would have beaten them on head-to-head. I know it's a big if, but they're actually um, they're actually in a great position. So uh, they're top of the relegation fodder in Division 2. Um, Clare this weekend is crucial for them. That game is an Ennis. Whoever loses that game is in big trouble. Clare in 11th, they haven't moved. I just don't think anyone has done enough to move them yet. We'll see after Sunday. Donegal have moved back to 10th, so they've swapped them on him. So fair play, Shane. You've got a bit of movement there. Thanks, um, Tommy. They eked out another point at the weekend, which could be crucial to staying up. 
They did get the rubber green. I don't know if you saw the Paul Conroy shot. Look at it. It probably went over the post, so you'd have to give the umpires the benefit of the doubt. But that's two weeks in a row where a lot of teams aren't getting the benefit of the doubt from the referee. Um, Donegal have. So their intent, I still have a feeling they're going down. Monaghan have had a superb two weeks, beating top of the table Ross Common and Donegal, both at home. Their final home game is in round six against Tyrone. And you have to imagine the losers of that game go down. Moving on the top slide and there's been movement all over the place here Tyrone are in 8th place 2021 All-Ireland winners they've slid back toothless is the word I've used a few times and they were whether it be defensively offensively just all over the place um, it's frightening how much their attack has lost direction and how easily Mayo ripped their defence apart uh, en route to their four goals Roscommon have moved up one place more so by virtue of how poor Tyrone were rather than the Rossi's unbeaten record up until the weekend Um Despite defeat to Monaghan, they're still joint top. There's seven days between the Connacht final as we and let's start the Connacht first round and the league finals as we mentioned last week. So maybe we're going to see Roscommon take the foot off the pedal. But looking at that um, Division One table, they're going to need another point from somewhere. So um, they have a couple of big games ahead. Mayo this weekend. That's going to be a weird one with the with the Connacht championship game a month away. Um, I have slipped back two places, lads. I found that tough to do. Um, I found that one tough to do, but they're actually only on three points here. The league form, the quarter final against Galway last year had them higher, and I'm just not seeing that at the minute. They actually have a must-win game now against Donegal. So I've written off Donegal anytime we've seen them. Armagh have to beat them this weekend. It's at home. Um, if they don't win it, Donegal are on five points and Armagh are on three points going into the last two games of the National Football League. So it would be a disaster for McGinney if Armagh were to get ready to get it this year. They're way too good for that. Um, and I don't expect them to lose it but that's where they're at looking at form Derry are the form team in the country they moved up one place they could have actually smashed Mead and Kildare by a lot more I don't know if you watched the highlights there but like they could have had six goals Mark Donlan I'd say was actually nearly man of the match mm. despite Shane McGuigan kicking one one five or six um, they have a real litmus test this Saturday against Dublin I'd say Dublin are targeting it I'd also say Rory Gallagher is targeting it to see where his team is at Mayo up one place exceptional at times on Saturday night it was very entertaining to watch them really really enjoying how varied their attack is like they're running it when it's on they're kicking it from distance when it's on they're hitting it Aidan O'Shea when it's on and they're going for goals as much as possible um, they've thrown off the inhibitions and there are good vibes about them I've slid uh, Dublin back to one place to um, third and I didn't expect I'd do this but something isn't clicking and Jerry I kind of dismissed you last week when you when you suggested it I did I put my hands up now I'm, I'm not saying I'm infallible the way Owen used to say it apology accepted I just yeah the one thing that got me at the weekend was looking at the confidence of the Clare forwards and the manner in which they strutted around Croker the sole dummies at ease they were kicking balls over the bar no bother and I was like there's no fear here no teams don't fear Dublin anymore until the last 10 minutes I don't know, yeah, Shane, maybe, and like, you know, you could, there were six points up and it wasn't the same as the manner in which Kildare caught them. Like, Dublin really turned it on and even Dublin's final score was so impressive, even though a lot of people would say, and the Sunday game, unfortunately, didn't show the highlights um, or the moment where the, the free went against Clare, but Clare FM commentators lost ahead that um, it should have been a free in. And Dublin break at lightning speed and they just know what they're doing in that moment. Oh, the dub's and getting big, big uh, refereeing decisions in Crow Park. Jesus, that never happens. <laughs> hey, did you hear that the stats were 10 to 1 in the last 10 minutes? The freeze, the free count, 10 to 1. 
In favour of so, Dublin? In favour of Dublin. Wow. That's what I, that's what I heard from the Clare FM commentary team because I, I was watching the Mayo game. But anyways, yeah, the Dubs, we'll see it now on Saturday night. No one beg, you'd expect that the likes of Costello, McCaffrey, um, Scully will start. But there's just... But that element of fear has gone. Okay. And once that goes, that invincibility goes. And, yeah, cracks. I'm not... I, like, they've won four games from four. Like, you know, this whole Dublin are gone shite. Let's, let's get to the end. Go on. Galway are first place. And I think Pork Joyce will be really, 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 really happy. And sorry, I actually think... Our podcast listeners, uh, Galway are second. Galway are second. Carry sorry, second. First. Sorry, second. Sorry. Apologies. Thank you. And Shane, I actually think it's... it's you can say that when it's in Division 1. When it's in Division 2, you can't say that Dublin, if they're in second place, are happy enough at winning those games. Maybe they are. Maybe they're training, like as I suggested two weeks ago, maybe their training regime is that savage. I just think that there's there's too much not right there to be able to justify them in, in second place. But for Joyce, leaders are stepping up. Matty Tierney, two weeks in a row, has put in exceptional performances. And Peter Cook and Ian Burke have slid in seamlessly. So mm. they're doing that without the star boys being back. Watch have I, over. I haven't said this on air. Sean Kelly, uh, player of the year, 66 to 1, if you want. Um, You've called it, Jer. Um, and this is on the basis of listening to the football pod. I, I, so it's credit where you guys... Uh, but it was like, oh, that that's how this works. If, if they're going to win, obviously... Uh, Shane Walsh, congratulations, getting off, getting engaged, and uh, so he will obviously be their star man Absolutely. in those finals if they are to get over the line. But footballer of the year, they're going to remember this: that in the league he was grinding it out and driving forward and is transforming the role of the fullback. You know, he's not a stopper; he's a starter, and yeah. uh, so on and so forth. And so my campaign starts here. I. I, I- I've got a I good think, track record of getting you in the top three. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely do. You've been, you've been very, very close a couple of times. Um, but I think I think that Sean Caddy role is a really interesting one. Um, Andy Moran is someone who would have tipped me off to it initially on season one of the football pod because obviously the Mayo and Galway boys, they know each other so well. And I didn't get it. I was like, how could the most important player be a cornerback in 2020? I just didn't get it. Like, And this is when we, we hadn't really seen teams for a long time it was that summer when we got three league games after COVID and he was raving about Sean Kelly and I didn't know Andy that well at the time so part of me was going ah oh, yeah he's, he's this is like the Kerry boys in Cork he's just kind of talking up Galway here mm. but he was speaking about the fulcrum of Galway's attacking game plan being based on Sean Kelly and now they've developed beyond that but if they can release Kelly a little bit and we've seen snippets up in the league but if they can release him in the summer to go forward without having to tie up the best player of the other, other team it's similar to what Mayo are getting from like Enda Hessian or other players. He like needs that. a rest, doesn't he? Like, is it Sean Kelly that's played every single? He played every, every final he could have possibly played in the last twelve yeah. months. He hasn't got a rest either. He's straight into the league. Like you'd, yeah. you'd be concerned about his. Or, he's or like the training to games ratio that we always hear about, which is you know if you you play more soccer matches mm. like at a local level than you do training sessions at inter county, you never get games. And he's like, yeah, I got games, hooray! I don't have to do all this ridiculous <laughs> training. Yeah. Um, yeah, this has Gary Neville saying teams don't fear Messi anymore after the Saudi Arabia game vibes off it. Says uh, one of our colleagues who knows a thing or two about inter county football. There, Tommy. That's about the dogs. Okay, yeah, well, and maybe, and maybe that is a bit of PTSD, and I'm not going to say who it was, but PTSD and Leinster. And, like, Leinster, like, Leinster counties have gone soft, like. They've gone soft, and they are absolutely browbeaten by the dubs. I agree. I agree. So, like, uh, one of the things we were saying uh, last night in the pod were the dubs have dairy this weekend. 
And that is going to be their only test until the All-Ireland, really until the All-Ireland semi-final. And I know we say that every year, but they're actually going to have to play eight games to get there, the way the calendar works. Well, hang on. Is there not a possibility that there'll be an important match at some point away from Croke Park in the round robin? I, I haven't... What, like, yeah, but is the, the draw... Top. The way it falls, right? So, so Dublin are going to be first seeds. They're going to win Leinster. More, more than likely. They're going yeah. to be first seeds. Um, they're going to get a provincial runner-up. So, like, take your pick. Who are you going to get there? Cork. Um, Cork Sligo. or... Cork are probably the Ulster team I think at the way it's fallen this year I'm not sure exactly how it's fallen then you're going to get a decent Division 1 team and then you're going to get probably Division 2 or a Westmead so the Dubs aren't going to get challenged again they're going to have Division 4 team in the quarterfinal in Leinster Division 2 or 3 team in Leinster after that and then in the round robin series three games one of them you'd imagine they're going to walk another one they'll get by then they might have a game that they have to pick a team for so look I just think that the, the challenge is going to be there for them over the next couple of weeks um, so the training the training argument still holds water I, I, I do yeah. think though that uh, look you know if they're training really hard then that's why there's no there was a great line that Bob Keaton had about Tipperary after a championship match they were dead only to wash them <laughs> and that's what that's what the Dubs look like a little bit at the moment but if if they are doing a block of training that allows them to be explosive in 8 weeks time or 10 weeks time and then Con yeah. looks like Con again because what's happening at the moment is he's just doing hard yards making sure the hamstrings are ready to go whenever they actually extend them. And it's the same with a load of those players. They just aren't in form at the moment and there's no new yeah. players coming through to supplant them. Michael Darmacauley's in the papers today saying he wants kids to come in and rip the jersey off. <laughs> yeah, he was talking specifically about himself at Ballyboden. He wants the 18-year-olds yeah. to do that. But he wants them to do that at Dublin training as well. There's no, where's this? Where's the next con? Where's the next gully? Where's the next bugler? Do you know, like... There's just nothing yeah. at the moment. That's so. the concern. Even John Kiley was saying after the Limericks one the weekend, he was like, you need to have most of your work done by this stage in terms of training and prep. Like, most mm. of the work is behind you. But so uh, if, if that's the case uh, with Dublin, then you'd be worried. Well, that wasn't the case with Limerick last year, though, was it? No. Do you team, know what I mean? Teams change year on year. They're like, well, that didn't work. Well, well clearly it worked for Limerick you know, last year. So I think, I think Tommy's point about the, the concertina season means that we don't actually know what everybody's doing at this point and just how far along they are yeah, but I think that's fair yeah. but you would definitely if you're Mayo you're feeling good about the, the vibes is actually as important the yeah. smiley faces the emojis is um, we God, talking the about. mood music lads like we were in Castlebar for our road show last summer and it was like it was awkward like it was like oh god this is like how has this gotten so do you know what Tommy we need and to last night, we need was. to announce the tickets today that we're yeah, going we back do. to Castle Bar and they will sell out. We'll sell out yeah. the biggest arena that they have. No, Paddy's made it clear he's not going anywhere but Killarney this year. So we're that's that's the way he's Vibes going. are a little bit off there as well. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Maybe that's what maybe that's what they need. Maybe maybe that's what the All Ireland needs. The football pod to go in and shake up Killarney. I do also so. need to officially apologise on air to the glorious uh, uh, skyline of Tralee. Uh, it's funny how my in- initial tweets. Uh, got oh, like I missed this. a quarter of a million likes or a quarter of a million uh, reach and then the next one where I apologise for my stupidity what did you say? <laughs> I was like oh the uh, the skyline uh, from the stand in Killarney is world class and everybody's like duh it's Tralee <laughs> I'm like oh my god 
that's unfortunate. Like it is, it is tough to. Luckily, call Twitter's fucked, like and no one can see it anymore. Apologies for the uh, language. Well, I just, I just liked it. Any other big issues? I'm sorry. I, I no, we don't have time. We don't have time. I, I was, I was getting angry. You stretched it out. You stretched it out so long. We don't have time to get okay, into well, it. Okay. Well, next time, next time, I won't make that many changes, and you can just, you can just argue with me. All I right? mean, this is a week. I, I think it's. Uh, let the public decide. Should we do this every week? Hundred percent. I think so. I'm getting texted, man. I'm angry. Don't have to work on it anymore, Tommy. The work is done. You just, you're just defending your bad takes now. Anyway. Okay, okay, all right, okay. Hey, there you go. He twisted his arm. That's that brilliant. Tommy, excellent. A natural care, successor. Lads. Thank you very much. Good luck. Bye bye. And that was the latest football power rankings from Tommy Rooney. Tommy knows his football, obviously, listening to football pod the odd time. And I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. <laughs> right. <laughs> So 23 minutes past 8 OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day some people think we're on mushrooms when we're talking about uh, the stats and the analysis but that's not the case Derek McNamara is here with us to introduce some uh, sense to proceedings some facts yeah facts, facts. Who's, telling, who's saying that and there you go. It's, the, it's the clip <laughs> <laughs> sorry for that it was, yeah. it was actually it was a Kildare Gaelic football pod who it turns out were tempting fate horribly but we'll get to them later on in the season <laughs> anyway yeah good good weekend well the English Welsh game is a bit dare wasn't it but apart from that the, the games were pretty pretty great uh, I got stopped the other day by um, a man who works in uh, analytics and says uh, this is the best analytics slot in any sport that he's heard. And at the same time, one of my mates was like, that's bullshit. I can't believe you're doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So It's so funny because I was going to say this, but my my, uh, my mom rang me there last week and she was like, no, no I, didn't, I didn't like last week's one. It's too technical. <laughs> I was like... All right, <laughs> which is fair enough, you know. Good, good, uh, good feedback. You know, bad feedback. I suppose. Look, that's that is exactly what my job is, right? Like, it's it's trying to make the game digestible and understandable. Whether you're, my mom's only twenty nine, obviously, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> if you're at that age, and then also you've you've also got the people that are heavily involved in the sport, the guys that are. The coaches, the analysts, the old guard, the people who've been there for forever, who would look at this stuff and say, uh, "It's not for me. It doesn't. It's too too data driven." But I suppose it's my job to try and to help and improve and help those guys understand that. Look, there's too much happening in the game for one person to look at the game. And I suppose the other side of it is that the coaches that are at the top, they are able to do this to a certain extent. But they don't have any ammunition that we can bring to those coaches, to those people involved in the, in, the, in, the, in these teams to help them understand, OK, well, we can now measure something in a way that we've never measured something before so that we can actually make small improvements in our team, whether you're at the top of the league or you're at the bottom of the league. Um, all sports have gone through this revolution over the last decade and a half. You, yeah. you worked for PFF for a while. In yeah. American football, this happened, and there's like, a, nah, I don't need those stats, thanks very much. I'm an old-school coach. I can shout at my players and inspire them to greatness, and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I know everything with my eyes. It passes yeah. the eye test. And in football, it's it's um, fairly similar. There's like a massive analytics movement. We've seen it reach certain points where it's now influencing um, increasingly player signings and uh, some clubs are using it really well other clubs mm. are not using it really well and I guess rugby is catching up with those sports um, I, I don't know whether it has started that movement yet um, and which is really exciting for us because we're kind of at the, at the start but there is a 
you know, rugby is still very much in the dark ages when it comes to a lot of things and, and data and analytics would be one of them. But also the idea around people coming in that haven't played before or haven't played at the highest level. People are suspicious of that. Very much so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the vast majority of people, and, and which is fair enough, right? Because that's all they've known, right? But at the same time, there are literally thousands, if not millions of people out there who didn't didn't have the skills or the expertise or the background or didn't go to the right rugby school or didn't get coaching when they're younger or got injured or got concussions. There's all these... Mm. There's more of them than there is the, the guys that were there. And, you know, somebody like myself who does look at the game differently to most people. But I I went and I did my crap jobs <laughs> where I did these crap jobs after leaving school or going to college, university. I learned these lessons and these skills that players could never have learned. You know, they could never have done the skills of learning Excel and learning development and software and analytics and data. There's no way that you could have done both. So the point is, is that the, the rugby community needs to understand that, you know, that these things are going to bring come into the sport no matter what. Yeah, and it turns out that there are people within the rugby community yeah. who are um, happy to be in the vanguard of this and are yeah. leaning on your expertise and, and taking advantage of it. Absolutely. And, but like the, the, the point is, is that we're not coming to try and push anybody out of the way or change anything for the negative. We're, we're, this, this analysis, this data, this information is is purely to help the sport improve that's the only reason it exists is to help players help coaches help analysts help uh the the people that make decisions so that they can measure what the impact is that they have on the game was there a tangible time in which rugby started to embrace analysis and data like was the dawn of the professional era was it even more recently then that when teams and, and nations were, were like, well, yeah, this I'm has to sure make sense. there'd be a lot of people that would be that'll turn around and say, "Oh, Derek, you're full of shit, right, <laughs> right now." But like the the vast majority of coaches, the, like the nearly all the coaches that I would know, very few of them are making decisions based on data driven analysis. Right. the The majority of of analysts that are in the teams would be based around creating video clips that would enhance the chances of a coach understanding so they're not, they're not really making because the the way in which data has been absorbed calculated or enhanced and then provided back to teams is still very much in its infancy you're still using excel you're still using mm. there's no there's no one real uh, analysis platform where you can go in and, and interact with data in a way that you can make decisions. And that's what that's exactly what we're doing. You know, it's we're we're, we're taking and I hear this a lot where you know analysts would be like, oh, you know, that could take my job. You know, that this data and it's like <laughs> like the introduction of a, a. I think one of my friends was saying, you know, uh, the introduction of the plow. And then you know a combine harvester. The, the 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 idea of that taking a job is it's not the same. It's like just you can do more. You can actually have more impact. Free some time for other things. Yeah. Oh, hugely. Like we're we're gonna, we're doing the grunt work, and what that allows, what what our analysis allows these teams to do is spend so much more time coaching because like that's, what, that's fundamentally what all these guys want to do. Um. But like what 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 we also try to do as well is we try to, um help with p- different people who have different learning ways of learning so like I, I personally have dyslexia right so I learn by visually seeing things I, I like 
giving me a, a paragraph of words. I, 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 can't get, I really get struggle with it. But then people understand by you know, listening. So we'll have information around what the data means by allowing people to learn from listening. But we'll also have the data. We'll also have the graphs. We'll also have... So that, that's what we're trying to just do is trying to cater for all these different types of learning because people that are involved in sport tend to not be the people that read a lot <laughs> mm. because they have the skills and they have their expertise by using their hands and their head. So it's there's so much going on and I, I'm hoping that we're kind of like... We're not the start of it because there's, there's always going to be other companies out there that have started this, but... We're, we're trying to bring everything together to try and make that next step and help those teams improve. Okay, so that's the culture war that's raging within the yeah. sport at the moment. Um, let's distill it down to, to this week. We, we've, yeah. I mean, obviously it's Irish rugby, so uh, there's a, a 10 debate and a <laughs> um, fascination slash preoccupation slash okay, last worry. Three days putting this together for you. I, I hope you like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, um, so it's actually worked out perfectly in terms of the ability to compare Sexton and Ross Byrne. They basically yeah. played the same amount of time. Yeah. So, I, I guess this first slide that we're going to put up um, for people that aren't uh, that are listening, we're, we're, we basically compared uh, Sexton to Ross Byrne just from the Six Nations. Um, and when we looked at the, so this, this first slide is kind of like what. DJ, what is this? Is the first kind of analysis that that is currently provided by providers out there, and in it we show um, that both players played. Uh, Sexton has played 116 minutes, and Ross Byrne has played 121. So very, very close level of analysis that we can uh, do a comparison against. When we boil that down to actual game minutes, so time of ball in play, Sexton's at 56 and Byrne is at 57. And then um, the number of possessions. So this is the number of times the both players have actually touched the ball. Um, and Sexton only has 52, with Byrne uh, 66. So there's a little bit of discrepancy, so Byrne's getting more involved in the game. Um, and that could be because he's coming on as a substitute. You know, at the end of the game, he's more involved in the game. But that, that's probably why... <clears throat> So well, that's kind of our starting point. You know, how many possessions do they have? How much time do they spend on the pitch? And then when we look at what actually the output of those possessions, so what, what actually happened by each player, um, we look at the, their passing roughly around the same. So 70, 77% of the time they're passing the ball. So once they get the ball, they pass it. Um, Sexton pa- kicks the ball 13% and Byrne kicks 21%. So Byrne kicks reasonably bigger amount of ball um, and uh, Sexton carries the ball into contact a little bit more so that that's just from a, a higher very high level this is what the two players do this is what they they, they do when they get the ball um, and this is this is the current state of which analysis exists okay that's the, the type of stuff you're getting on your TV coverage yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um the next layer down. Next layer down, yeah. So then basically what we do is we, we take all the information from the games, okay, and we, we say, okay, well, who's the best? Um, and when we look at the passing grade, so we want to just primarily look at the passing, for instance. Sexton comes out as number one in passing, and that's because he's the most accurate. He's number one in the tournament. In the tournament, yeah. yeah so these are, this isn't mm-hmm. just versus number one versus Ross Barnett, versus all the other outhouse Correct, in the yeah. I think there was 13 play, 10s altogether that, you know, we have a minimum threshold of, okay. of inputs that players need to have. Um, but of these, Sexton comes out and, you know, 77% of what they do when they get the ball is passing. That's the thing we want to look at primarily. And when Ross Byrne, we take the same amount of information, Ross Byrne comes out at third. Uh, he's very close to fourth, but the difference between first and third is 
substantial. Okay, so we're looking at pass left, pass right, accuracy, speed, um, distance, uh, discrepancies between those three. Um, so there, there's there's literally 20 or 30 different aspects that we take into consideration when we, we look at this passing grade. Okay, so that's the first one there. The passing accuracy is next. Yeah, so this is... So Sexton um, has a passing accuracy of... He's, uh, he's number one and Ross Burns number six. Yeah, so um, we, we basically grade each pass out of five, one to five. Um, and uh, Sexton's passing grade is a 4.4. So it's nearly perfect, like basically. And that's that's the ability to make a pass and hit the player that's coming onto the ball right in front of their hands. Okay, so that's basically the passes out in front. Anything that's a little bit higher, low, we give a four. Anything that's above the head or below the waist is a three. And, then, you know, two is a ball that goes to ground and one is a turnover. Um, so Sexton's right up there with the 4.4 of accuracy. Um, but Ross Byrne is at a 4.1, um, which is average. It's right there, ballpark average, uh, when it comes to passing uh, as a 10. And what that affects is, is that that kind of affects everything else in Byrne's arsenal, if you want to call it that, because um, that's what brings him down. That's 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 what he would need. If, if I was coaching, if I was working with Ross, I'd be saying, you you need to learn how far you pass the ball, which is the next one that we're looking at. Average I'm pass just, distance. Yeah, and the guys are the Irish guys are much smaller uh, passing distance than the average. So the average is around a five point seven meter pass. Um, Ross Byrne is at a four point five meter pass, and Sexton's at a four point eight. So like they're. they're the idea here is is that we can identify what they're doing, when they're doing it, why they're doing it, and then we can identify how well they're doing these activities. Okay, so the average pass distance, um, Ireland being eleventh and twelfth, would suggest mm-hmm. that that's by design. Yeah, yeah. So we don't, we don't, we wouldn't weight that heavily towards the grade. Okay. So, but but it is part of the actual overall grade. We do take it into consideration. Okay. And the first receiver depth is the last one on the passing uh, stats here. <clears throat> yeah. Sexton's three and Ross Burns one. Yeah, so um, from the distance, so the average um, uh, depth of receiver for, for a 10 is 5.7 metres from the game line. Um, Ross Byrne is hitting that game line at a 4.5 and Sexton at 4.8. So that's, you know, we've heard this quite a lot, that he's able to take the ball to the line quite a lot, which is true to a certain extent. But, you know, what we'll do, we might go into in a second, is it only kind of tells half the story. So that receiver depth, is he's, he's doing what he's been asked to do, so he's getting up to the line. The only problem is is that he's he's not coming onto the ball. He's, he can, can be quite stationary when he gets the ball compared to Sexton, who also runs onto the ball and is flat and is taking on the, the receiver uh, or, or the, the defenders. So these are subtle enough differences, but quite fundamental when it comes to uh, the output. Yeah, and that's and that's and then so basically, we the the, the next slide then is uh, basically we're we kind of pulling all that together, um, and basically what we're saying here is is that this is kind of an overall what both players are doing. So um, we showed the output to begin with when they get the ball, but this is just showing you know where the, the where each player is doing what they're doing, the skill sets on top. Um, but from a from a quality, so from what their actual players are doing, um, carrying is another one that 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 Johnny is, you know, he's significantly better than what Ross is doing, as well as the passing. So, 
these two areas are the t- two main areas as to why uh, it's, it's a significant difference between the two and you know how, how whether or not we can put uh, that affects the team as much when it's put in a uh, uh, we, you know, we were. I think we had only had seven of the players, starting players, start last weekend, and we we're still able to implement the same game plan. Whether or not these two areas can significantly uh, um, influence the outcome, yeah, is the next question. And okay. I, I, I would, I would, I would say that they don't. I would, I would say that we have enough players and and leaders in that team to negate this this problem okay and if you're uh, it's funny just, uh, when you're talking about the passing and the importance of it when Joe Schmidt came into Leinster uh, Brian just has told the story that uh, Schmidt said he wants to make Leinster the best passing team in Europe yeah. and they were kind of like well what's the big deal about that but actually if you if you think about it the difference between the accurate pass and the difference between a five and a four is that the speed you've seen the speed of hands that Ireland have at the moment where the ball can like everybody looks a little bit like Finn Russell at times and the difference that makes is that suddenly there's a gap where there wasn't one and so the speed of passing and the accuracy of the passing has a knock-on impact on your ability to massive, implement a game plan massive and um, so fixing a player is something huge and it's so basically fixing a player is the ability to get the ball and take a step and fix that player on, on you as a defending player that's what a five grade pass is it's where the ball is able to hit the, the when you pass the ball to a player it hits the player and the player is able to then uh, fix the player either left or right. France scored a try at the weekend where Entomac just took the ball and ran straight yes. and kept looking straight and passed the ball well, without looking away and you're like, oh Jesus, that's, yeah. uh, that's pretty impressive. And that's exactly what we look at and Jimmy O'Brien did it as well against South Africa where he, he got the ball um, running into the 22 and fixed the player and put the pass out into the corner to, to set up the try. It's, it's, it seems quite small, but it's we've been looking at it and grading it since since we started. This might sound like a, a stupid question, Derek, but the, on that um, that first graph you had, so uh, Ross Byrne opted in to kick 21% of the time mm. versus 13% Sexton, and Sexton obviously carries the ball a lot more than, than Ross. Does that, and this is maybe a bit of fear in this question, does that make Johnny Sexton more liable, more prone to injury because he's carrying the ball a lot more into tackles than, than well, Ross Byrne? That's funny you say that because we um, we also look at the um, amount of times a player's first or second receiver. So basically, um, where I looked at this yesterday, so it, it, there wasn't too much of a discrepancy between the two. But um, <clears throat> I'm trying to find it here. Sorry, Nate, it's not good radio. Uh, <laughs> but basically, uh, there there was a little bit of discrepancy. Yeah, so here it is. So. There's around a five percent discrepancy between Sexton being first or second receiver. So, where where Sexton is is um, being protected is that he's he's behind the first receiver yeah. at, at the at that pod that 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 um, forwards pod. So that's a way of protecting him. But most definitely, the the, the reason why Johnny is such a good good player is that he's able to fix those defenders. He's able to bring the ball to the line and. You know, have a late hit on it or, or a tackle, with, or a tackle without the ball. We call it, um, and he would have the most with those where he gets tackled off the ball. But the idea is, is that you know that's part of the game. You, you're you're going to have to be able to to stand in the stand. pocket. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stand Take in the pocket. The, yeah, exactly. Hits. Yeah. Um, so the, the last slide that we that we have is is just. Um, 
So when we take all that information, so for, for just tens, we, we look at, uh, I, I counted them before I came on, we had 91 separate grades that we grade specifically. We then weight them accordingly based on their skill set. So here we have production is basically who has the most amount of activity in the, the Six Nations so far. Um, we don't have the, the Wales-England game or the Scotland-France game in here just yet. Um, but basically, we we split them by carrying, tackling, passing, kicking, and turnovers for for the tens. So before the the Scotland game at the weekend, Finn Russell was number one. Yeah, just about, just okay. about with Sexton behind him. And I, but I would imagine this would s- switch based on this weekend's games. Um, Finn Russell was pretty good to the eye. Uh, <laughs> he is no, he is the eye. But I think I, I player the tournament in the uh, in the London Times this morning. People get bamboozled by sex appeal and throwing passes. But I, I, I mentioned this last week. I was like, just watch out for that skip pass. That's how you get. That's how you get him. And that's that's that was the game there last weekend. That that skip pass he gave was the intercept. I think. Yeah. So like there, there is. And these guys would have been playing against Finn Russell every week, so they would have known its strengths and weaknesses. So, I don't know. I, 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 I'd, I'd be sleeping on on Finn Russell, but it, I've been saying this for years. He's he's very very hit and miss, and like he, he's a great, brilliant, amazing player. Don't get me wrong. Notwithstanding that, like he's he's neck neck and neck with Sexton after the same because yeah. obviously Sexton didn't play at the weekend either. So because in this analysis, he had two really good games, but his his underlying issue has always been consistency and. Always, you know, not not falling off the game, and when we when we'll have this game done by next week, and we can come back to this, and I can show you this these numbers again. I would imagine he probably goes down to second or third after after this weekend's game. Okay, okay. So just come back to Sexton and come back to Burn. So when we take all those ninety six small bits of information uh, and we weight them in a particular way, and we we look at all the information, although Sexton and 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 Byrne were quite close to each other in the passing. Uh, Byrne skips down to overall sixth. And in the in the graph, the previous one actually, mm. they looked f- so on the there's tiny little bits in the graph, but actually yeah. every every point. So there's the graph. The, the bottom part of yeah. the graph is back up on the screen there. Um, it's actually significant if there's any divergence. Yeah, it's massively significant because it makes up. As you're saying, sixty odd data points. Yeah, yes, no, it, it takes up nine. There's ninety three data points, but behind that, there's probably fifty thousand points of input. Okay, <laughs> do you know what I mean? We're talking about literally. So if there's a small divergence on the graph, that's actually very significant. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're talking about and that's know, why we have bits of, of of activity. So and that's why we have the final one there where. Uh, so I just to read it out. Finn Russell's one, Sexton's two, Tommaso Allen's three, Entomac is four, Garbisi's five, and then Ross Byrne is six. Sexton scores seventy, and Ross Burns is sixty-four and a half. So there's a five and a half point difference there. And as, as you're pointing out, that represents a significant difference in quality. Yeah, yeah. Now this is only over two games, and you could say that you know. But I think the way in which we analyze games, the way in which we um, enhance the data, enrich the data, and then you know create this kind of an output. We're taking, you know, literally hundreds, if not thousands, of bits of information, calculating them and putting them into these buckets, um, and then what we do is we weight them based on what each position is doing. So, if we were to look at all the players in the Six Nations, we, we would weight obviously uh, second row much more heavily towards carrying, rooking, and tackling than we would to passing, which is what what a ten and a nine do. Um, so. Sexton is clearly still our number one, but Ross Byrne, the fall off is 
is significant, but not as pronounced as we might have feared in the past. Correct. Right. Correct. So, and we can somewhat uh, overcome any of the issues at the moment, given the strength yeah. of the team. And if we were talking to Ross, we would be, you know, a small thing that we can try and work on is is uh, just making those smaller. Because, again, we're, we're only talking about a four or five metre pass. We want to make sure that that pass is hitting right in front of the player um, and, you know, and, and looking at, at Sexton to, to to emulate or help him help identify where those passes. Like a modern day Alan Turing breaking the Enigma code of the Six Nations I love this it's pro- <laughs> but there's so many possibilities and eventualities that it, it distills it quite nicely into yeah no why. And I, I, my mother really you know Sheila McNamara I know she'd be, she'd be scarlet now she would, <laughs> but uh, they, it, it, that, that did make you know if, if we can help somebody like my mom digest this information then we can get to the coaches we can get to the analysts we can get to the, the people running these these organisations because they don't they, they think they know, but they don't know, if that mm. makes sense. And this data will help them digest it and go, all right, okay, this makes more sense. And uh, just not going to sell it to France or South Africa or uh, Scotland until after the World Cup? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tentative, yes, there, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Derek, good stuff. Yeah, uh, what, what are we going to do next week? Um, I don't know. I suppose we could probably just take a quick look at all the teams if you wanted to, or I suppose if people want to leave comments in the in the, yeah. in the YouTube where they want to know something very specific. Um, but we could probably look at the, each individual team and maybe see what 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 lies ahead for the last two games. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Um, uh, ReactRugby.com. Yeah, and oh, we we also loaded a whole lot of. Um, game analysis from the different teams as well so there's Argentina Australia New Zealand South Africa all the Six Nations games we've got a bunch of all the the, the autumn international games on, online so you can go in and see your best players and what they can do and what their analysis looks like alright uh, here is some James Ryan speaking with Joe on the show last night about the win in Rome Cahal Milani is up next yeah well the, the last try was, was brilliant for us like it was one of the best team tries I think we've had um but I, uh, to be honest, I thought we were a bit unlucky to be going in at half time, twenty four seventeen up. I thought we'd left a couple of scores out there, and obviously they got that intercept. And uh, you know, all of a sudden it, the game felt very close, twenty four twenty. But I think what I put it down to is probably just some of the messages at half time. Um, like well, what we said was, yeah, the game was close, but like you know, this is we want to be tested. Do you know what I mean? Um, this is where we want to be. So. Um, some of the matches at half time were very much like just stick to our process stick to our game um, because we felt certainly when we had the ball um, that we were putting them under a lot of pressure uh, and it was just a very final piece whether that was a disled try a knock on that we were just letting them off the hook but um, we just said look if we could if we could hold on to the ball stick to our game mm. build pressure uh, uh, then we felt like we could, if we kept turning the rock, then we we we'd eventually break them. Um, so um, so obviously, uh, you know, that's the way. It, it was very tough, but that's yeah. the way it turned out in the end. We managed to to build a bit of a score. Um, so I think just sticking to our our game and and keep believing that our attack would would uh, eventually win the day. That's that's James Ryan speaking with Joe Malloy last night. We'll play you the full thing at around about uh, half past nine this morning. It's really interesting. There is definitely a part of me that wonders though about. Um, when do you uh, when does your process involve adapting to the exact circumstances of the moment we might start talking about about that because you can be very stuck to the process 
and then sometimes you just need to kick the points. Um, and he, he was defending the decision not to kick the points on the basis of the outcome. Well, you know, we're not outcome driven, we're process driven. It's like, that's fair enough. But when does your process take account of the fact that kicking the points is actually mm. the right thing to do in like for an emotional reason, for a psychological reason, for, do you know what I mean? But again, hindsight, like if you get kicked for touch and you get the try, it's like, well, yeah, there you go. Decision vindicated. But and it's, look, e- it's easy to criticise him after the fact. Well, I mean... It was the ITV crew and Brian O'Driscoll yeah. was bringing this up who has been in that situation and, and knows exactly what the circumstances are. Um, it, it, of course it's easy, but sure, that's the, every, the, all the analysis is, is post-fact. Uh, I do wonder, though, if, there's, if, if, if your process doesn't allow for taking the emotional temperature of a game. Yeah, but, the, but then I, I, what I wonder is would Sexton have made a different decision? Like, what were, the, were these team calls generally are they generally team calls well, sometimes the captain can obviously make the he said that it was a, it's a, it's a three way conversation Henderson who was calling the line out mm. and um, Ross Byrne the first one they said wasn't a gimme so they were like well let's just do the, the line out and here's the thing kicking for the corner the whole time against New Zealand really worked it's just that it's different in the Six Nations because you've got your bonus points yes, by half time the bonus point you weren't it didn't matter if you won by one point or a thousand points really like it's it we're winning games at the moment and so therefore the scoring difference isn't important at the moment maybe it will be and they didn't know what the result was going to be in the um, Scotland game at that stage so and you, um, you could see Andy Farrell at the end of the game going keep going keep yeah, playing, and, keep and, and I think that's totally right as well yeah. at that stage like the game's over you've won the game you're not going to lose it yeah. you are still trying to um, but it just you're more likely to break them and more likely to get more opportunity anyway just a, 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 mm. a talking point for sure um, and you can hear James Ryan give a much better answer about like well you know um, we did what we wanted to do and uh, it all worked out for us Cahill is here Cahill Milani good morning to you good morning lads how's it going what is going on well uh, plenty going on FA Cup action tonight uh, Nigel Pearson has been speaking manager of Bristol oh, City forgot about Nigel I haven't talked about him at all he fought wolves in the mountains one time didn't he yeah he's uh, <laughs> like literally it was bare hands he, he's uh, back did he there was a wolf pack that um, he was he was up walking in the Carpathian mountains I want to say somewhere and he, in Romania he, pre-season and he came back with um, no I don't know uh, does everybody any do witnesses it? to this I, I don't know uh, <laughs> sure who like I'd believe it I mean I, uh, I would back him in a Jeez. Not many football managers you'd back in a fight against a, a howling pack of wolves. I would back him, definitely. Pearson and Habib yeah. fighting anim- wild animals. Yeah, interesting unless this, was, unless this was the story made up by the Fiverr to, um, you know, show how uh, savage he is and it didn't actually happen. I don't know. I'll, I'll do a quick bit of Googling there while you talk amongst yourselves. That's yeah, well, he, I actually um, was listening to his interviews and, and press conference before tonight's game. They're, they're going really well, actually, Bristol City, but they play Manchester City tonight in the fifth round, so it's a big ask for them. Uh, Fulham against Leeds, Leicester versus Blackburn and Stoke against Brighton, the other games tonight uh, in the FA Cup. Uh, Chidozi Ogbeni on the mark for Rotherham last night. The Championship, he scored the equaliser in their one-all draw with Swansea. Ryan Manning provided the assist there for the Swansea goal. There's a couple of games tonight Millwall travel to Luton and Coventry take on Preston interesting finish actually for Ogbeni's goal uh, last yeah. night where he slides in kind Looking of gets well. control and then nudges it past the keeper it looked scrappy but it was actually a better finish than it maybe yeah, looked I think so. first there was quite a bit of control uh, attached to it another award for Lionel Messi last night he won the men's player of the year at the best FIFA awards he says it caps off a tremendous year for him after his World Cup success he beat off uh, Kylian Mbappe and Karim Benzema to land that uh, award at the ceremony last night in Paris Lionel Scaloni was the men's coach of the year after that Argentina success England Serena Wiegmann honoured with the women's coach of the year award after their success at the Euros last summer and the women's 
Women's Player of the Year was Spain's Alexia Patea, so that was at the awards last night in Paris. Max O'Leary, I think. So Max O'Leary, the Republic of Ireland keeper in goals for Bristol City tonight against Man City, so a nice easy task for him. Nigel Pearson strikes me as one of the uh, the football managers that would uh, cope quite well in, in GEA. Do you think I think of soccer managers over in England who would be really good ga- ga managers? Nigel Pearson strikes me as like a Talton Cup winning manager, just someone who would get the most out of a out of an intercounty GEA team. Do you know there's some managers you're like, nah, they he, wouldn't, they wouldn't work. He's the English Banty, is that what you're saying? Po- possibly, <laughs> possibly fighting wolves in the, wo- wo- the woods of Clonus, maybe. Um, no, I, he just strikes me as that character. Do you know mm. one of the lads who you'd run through a wall like kind a Davy Burke? He'd strike me as kind of old school. Like Neil Warnock, like Neil Warnock managing a Division Four team, it works in my head. Do you know? Mm. Whereas Eric Ten Hag is too, he's too crisp for that. Like you think he's not made for the G. He's not a Davy Burke or a or a, or a Davy Fitz. Do you know? There's just yeah. some managers that would fit the bill, some wouldn't. So yeah, I wonder if there'd be a chance bit. for any crossover. We've seen kind of performance coaches come in from from different sports. Yeah, I wonder. Um, there was five of them. What they do is that one goes for you and the others circle around until one of them can bring you down. What they essentially do is rip the throat out. This is Pearson describing the incident himself. He said he initially threw himself into a patch of brambles hoping they would leave him alone, but then defended himself by using his walking poles and brute strength, but didn't go into details. The story had grown legs to the point where Stuart Pearce tells uh, Peter Crouch that he gouged one of their eyes out (laughs) and broke one of their jaws with his fists. Was brute strength wow. uh, Nigel Pearson's own words? I wonder. <laughs> so this actually happened. Well, uh, certainly that seems to be a story that um, is doing the rounds. Yeah. Liam Neeson was in the film, wasn't he? Where he fought off a load of wolves in the forest. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There was, there was some, I can't remember the name of the movie, but Liam Neeson was definitely the the lead. Wolves are big, like aren't they? They're fairly. They're fairly big. Yeah. And he managed. He managed Leicester, didn't he? The foxes. Yeah, guys, so one of their eyes out. It says here. In Transylvania, Gray, no problem the then. The Grey was the film with Liam Neeson. I, so watch The Grey and then just imagine Nigel Pearson in the same role. It will, it will make you more impressed with what he's with what he's achieved there. Five wolves. That's that's no easy task, lads. Never done it myself, but that's like a Vladimir Putin kind of thing, isn't it? Tops off in the in the forest fighting animals. Right, fantastic. That's Nigel Pearson. Uh, glad that we got to <laughs> anything else. Nigel. <laughs> I was expecting that this morning. Well, Whatever. there was an interesting uh, cricket match this morning. The New Zealand cricketers won the second test against England by just one run to tie the series one all. That's only the second time in test history a team has won by such a margin. So very fine margins there. But New Zealand got the job done. All right. Good stuff. Thanks very much for that call. More from call across the day, of course, on uh, News Talk. And if you want to get in touch this morning, you can get us... Um, at Off the Ball AM is the Twitter handle, or of course you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream as well. A reminder: OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now let's uh, turn our attention to uh, Celtic versus Rangers at the weekend in the Scottish League Cup. I'm delighted to say Tom English is with us. Uh, Tom, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm I'm very well. Uh, before we get into the the football, maybe we'll just talk a little bit about the rugby and mm. this rising anxiety that we suddenly have in Ireland about um, uh, we were just penciling in a World Cup quarter final automatically, but now all of a sudden Scotland are good again. What are you getting anxious about, though? Well, are we in Ireland? Ireland are invincible. Well, see, that's the thing. <laughs> history teaches us that that's not actually true. But but listen, never mind history. This is this team. Cliche, creating new history. Now relax, Ger. All is all is fine. All is fine. Um, I think Scotland will put it up to Ireland, definitely. But Ireland are much further down the road as a team than, than Scotland are. Although Scot, you know, Scotland have Scotland have made made big strides in the Six Nations, even on even on Sunday when they lost. 
from 19 nil down. They made a they made a hell of a game of it. Scored three tries. Could have scored another three. Lost the line out um, on French five meter line early on in the game. Xander Fagus and dropped the ball going over the line. Jamie Ritchie threw a lousy pass to Duane Van der Merwe out in the right wing. If he throwed it a little bit ahead of him, he'd have scored. Nobody stops Duane Van der Merwe from that range. So a lot of what might have been. But I think Ireland, listen, Ireland, and some heavy hitters coming back for Ireland as well by the looks of it. So uh, it's Grand Slam Ahoy, boys. Don't worry about it. Well, uh, it's also the World Cup that I'm concerned about where... <laughs> <laughs> You're awfully, you're very, you're very, you're very concerned, man. Well, we, chill out. Four years ago, uh, we we were terrible, and Scotland completely did not show up in that game. Yes, um, yeah. And that's kind of the level of flakiness that we're used to when it comes to, with the, the odd exception, when the bus was late that time, obviously, uh, Scotland scored two early tries, <laughs> and, and Joe Schmidt's year was ruined. Um and then there was the game in uh, in Croke Park. But other than that, we've basically handled our business. And now we have to yeah. take them seriously. Um, yeah, and I think Andy Farrell will definitely take this Scotland team seriously. Because, you know, they're scoring a lot of tries. And I think Scotland will score tries against Ireland. As good as Ireland's defence is, I think Scotland will score tries. But um, Ireland are so relentless now and so powerful. And I think power will probably win the day um, in Edinburgh but you know the place will be heaving um, <clears throat> massive crowd you, you never you never know but I think Ireland are just too professional and got too many weapons to lose but they'd want to be on their metal on the day that's all I'll say they'd want to be very good on the day to win What's the mood music Tom around the, the Scottish fans and players and, and, and management like is it a is it a massive air of positivity as someone was saying this morning they haven't won a triple crown since it says 1990 so they've clearly come on leaps and bounds Yeah they have I would say a cautious optimism you know when you've been beaten down as as much as these Scotland supporters have um, over 20 plus years you know there's nothing well if you include Edinburgh and Glasgow they've won one trophy since 1999 um that's a whole lot of disappointment, right? And disappointment is kind of is kind of bred into the Scotland rugby fans. So they're not nobody's getting carried away. They're enjoying what they're seeing. They're enjoying a very ambitious rugby team playing excellent rugby. You know, in a world of where it's all about physicality and intensity and attrition and all this kind of buzzwords, Scotland play a, a, a fantastic style of rugby. Um, Spearheaded, obviously, by Finn Russell, but they've added Sione Tuipiloto to the midfield, who's made a big, big difference. Uh, Hugh Jones has come back into it after after quite a few years off the scene. Excellent, playing excellently. You know, they, they, are, they are a good team, Scotland. I think Scotland rugby fans are just are enjoying, certainly enjoying winning the first two games in the championship since 1996. And probably enjoyed, actually, what they found from early on in Paris after being 19-0 down. And you could have said, you look at it, I watched the game again yesterday, they actually probably should have won the game. You look at the chances that they had, they made a couple of bad handling errors at the wrong time and France were just too good and exploited them. Townsend's supposed to be leaving at the end of the World Cup. Is that a done deal, do you think? No, no, it's not, no. Um, my, I, I had assumed that he was going to, he would leave, that he would have had enough. Um, I'm hearing now that he probably prefer to stay. Right. But but there's a bit of shadow boxing going on. I think the SRU, you know, for fear that he might get a 
might get a, a, a juicy offer elsewhere are looking around to see if there's an option for them in case he does walk. Um, but I think at the end of this Six Nations, if Townsend wants to stay, I think they'll probably renew his contract. It seems to make sense in a way as well that like there's been a steady period of building, getting depth. A lot of injuries have cleared up. He's made peace with his best player. And it, yeah. it feels like there's just a maturity about the team and the setup now. Yeah, there does, yeah. Um, now, that, you know, they'll need to keep this going until the end of the Six Nations. They'll need to play well against Ireland and obviously put Italy away in the last game. I think if that happens, then that would be a clear, so that would be a full championship of decent performances, decent results. Um, and I think that would be enough. I think it would be, I think it'd be bonkers, to be honest. If Townsend wants to stay, and as you say, for those reasons, Ger, he has, he has improved the squad. His relationship with Finn Russell have never been better. I think it would be kind of dynamiting your own progress if he was, if they were to to get rid of him now. I, I, I just don't think it would make any sense at all. Let's move on and talk about Celtic and Rangers, which. Um... Uh, at the weekend there was a little bit of needle to it I, I saw the pre-match press conference where they put the two managers side by side they didn't really like that and um, <laughs> is, is the beef real between these two or is, there, is it a bit manufactured no. it's, it's totally manufactured is it there's, there's, no, there's no beef between these two managers there's none at all um, there's a little bit of, it's beef obviously, obviously between the supporters or elements of the support Um but there's nothing between the managers. The fans would look at, and, and Rangers players, normally kind of ones who are just in the country five minutes, uh, very often over the years have come out with daft things before old firm matches, as in Rangers going, Fashion Sakala, the young Rangers winger last week going, oh, we're the best team in Scotland. Well, like, they're not. Everyone knows they're not, and they know it for sure now since Sunday. So I think Celtic people get, Amused on one level, but a little bit riled on the other when Rangers repeatedly come out, these Rangers players repeatedly come out and say, oh, we're the best team, when Celtic have won 10 of the last 11 championships. I mean, it's a bit nuts. The evolution of Celtic under Ange, obviously, it gets a yardstick every year in European competition. And uh, in the immediate aftermath of that, there's a, a kind of existential crisis about whether or not Celtic need to completely transform their style and be really boring and clog up the defence and try and score on the break, or if they are going to just continue to embrace the philosophy of Ange, which is all singing, all dancing, a beautiful thing. And um, I can I can see <laughs> I can see why if you're like a Celtic diehard, you're like, well, oh, it'd be great if we could just win some games in Europe. Yeah, um, and Postecoglou is not going to change for anybody. Um, this is the way he plays. You look at the players he signs. Uh, he signs players to fit his kind of philosophy. I know it's a horrible word, but anyway, um, he wants high tempo. He wants uh, energetic players. <clears throat> the one kind of concession he's made, kind of half concession he's made, is Aaron Moy, the Australian international. Um, but Moy can play. I mean, Moy was excellent against against Rangers. So uh, I think... Postecoglou, even like he would point to Europe, uh, the Champions League, and the other, they drew twice against Shakhtar. They lost both their games against Real Madrid and RB Leipzig. But all of those games, they played well in, in chunks of them. They created loads of chances. I mean, the 3 0 at home, the first game in the Champions League against Real Madrid, 
they were the better side for close to an hour. And then Madrid said, right, okay, let's start playing here. And they won 3 0. But a lot of a lot of stuff was really good stuff. And Pastor Cogley will say, all right, if we keep doing this, we'll learn the lessons we learned from this Champions League. We'll bring them into next Champions League and we'll get better. But you're right, it's the acid test because, you know, what you look for, you look for results against expectation. And there will be no result against expectation domestically for Celtic because they're that much better than everyone else. Like they're miles better than 10 of the teams in the league and they're substantially better than Rangers. So there's nothing they can do in Scotland that would make you think, wow, that was that was a surprise. It's only when we get to Europe. You'd almost like to fast forward into into the Champions League because they will win this league and they will go straight into the Champions League. You'd like to see, okay, have they improved against the big boys with the big budgets? Does does Ange Postacoglu's medium to long term future lie with with Celtic Tom? Because we see when the, when these jobs come up with the Premier League, I think he's been linked with, you know, you, you look at Leeds, yeah. Everton, Wolves, <laughs> Southampton, Brighton. He's been linked with them all over the last year. So. Has he has he commented on his future in recent weeks? Is there any uh, mood as to how that's going to play out? He, he commented it after the commented on it after the uh, the League Cup final on on, on Sunday, Shane, and he said um, he said people will be surprised how long I'll be here. <laughs> now I think he meant that he'll be here longer. At least I think that's what he meant. Um, because, listen, he loves what he's doing. He's a very focused, tough cookie, sharp. Um, and all of the, the noise around him doesn't seem to affect him. Um, he will take a question. You know, if you say to him, oh, you've been linked with Leeds, he won't bite your head off for asking it. He'll, but he'll deal with it. He's got a very, really good verbal dexterity in all of these questions. But he loves what he's doing. He's hugely grateful for Celtic, to Celtic, for taking a, a chance on him. You know, he would have been trying to get into football in this part of the world for, for, for a while. And maybe he would have been considered for jobs he didn't get them. Celtic were the one that gave him the opportunity and he's very, very loyal to them for that. At some stage, he'll move on. If he keeps going the way he is, especially if he makes some strides in Europe, he will move on. But he doesn't strike me as a man who's in a hurry to leave. Absolutely not. We can't talk Sunday without talking one of Ange, Ange Postacoglu's signings, Kyogo Farahashi. I mean, was it four point yeah. six million pounds? And, and let's I mean, say it's been money very well spent. That was at twenty six goals now for the season. He's a, a revelation, Tom. Yeah, he's he's been excellent for them. He's been one of the best uh, signings in Scottish football in the last twenty years. He'd be he'd be, he'd be well up there, um, and you know, and include Virgil Van Dijk and all this now. He's not going to go on and have the career that Virgil Van Dijk had, but certainly impact impact in Scottish football. He's been he's been huge. That's uh, uh, two League Cup finals in a row where he scored the two the, the decisive goals. Um, he's very very dangerous player, and in Scottish football, he's he's probably he's probably too good for Scottish football if you know what I mean. But um, Celtic fans are loving watching him. He's, he's not just he's a fine player. He, look, he looks like an incredible character as well. You know, so bubbly, energetic. He's, he's, he's a fantastic Postacoglu type player. Um, and the fans, the fans adore him because, you know, he keeps scoring goals, scoring goals of different types. Uh, he's a penalty box finisher, but he's also can, he can curl one in from 25 yards as well. Yeah, they're they're loving him, and it's it's not just him as well. You know, they had four, they had, they had three Japanese players in the starting lineup. Another one came off the bench. 
Another one was an unused sub. They had five Japanese lads in their in their match day squad, and you know they're all made. Certainly, the three that started made big contributions. Rio Hatate is, has been excellent as well. So, you know, Celtic fans are really enjoying what they're seeing from from Postecoglou's team. Uh, is Michael Beale the real deal? He seems like he was the brains of the operation whenever he was associated with um, Stephen Gerrard and he's getting his own opportunity, a, a real proper, you know, expectation level. Uh, is he the real deal? Uh, we don't know, Jerry. I mean, you know, I think I'm, I'm always kind of dubious about this. He was the brains behind the operation. I swear Gerrard like, was sitting at home watching Netflix all day and it had nothing to do with Rangers winning the league. Beal is sharp. I, mean, I don't think... Uh, I, I mean, he, he, he was very influential. He was influential under under Gerard, no question. He's made a, he's made a very good start to his Rangers time. Um, before Sunday, had won thirteen, drew one. The draw was at at Ibrox against Celtic, and they were leading it into the leading that match into the last few minutes. I think he's he's reshaping his squad, reshaping his team. They're kind of stuck between the old team and the new team. He signed two players. Um, uh, Raskin and Cantwell. Uh, everyone thought they would start on Sunday. They didn't. So you look at what Hostacoglu did. He completely ripped up the team that he inherited, signed a brand new team. Um, Beal needs to do a little bit of that. But, he's, but the summer would be interesting for him. Um, I, I always look at Beal and I think of the fact that in October, wasn't it? He's, he's turning down Wolves and saying, no, he's committing to, to QPR. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people at Queen's Park Rangers who are thinking, well, I mean, he, he wasn't a man of his word when he, a month later, turns down Rangers, but maybe he was waiting on an approach from Rangers. Yeah, that, when, you know, when he joined Rangers, an awful lot were played out and, and all these quotes about, you know, undying loyalty to QPR uh, were, all, were, all throw, were all thrown at him. Given Didn't him last a, long, yeah. Yeah, I think it was... Was it 36 days or something later after that he, he left to go to Rangers um, so yeah like you know Beal I mean the fans the fans the fans have an interesting relationship with Beal um, they like him he says all the right things I mean you swear he'd never set foot out of out of govern in his life um, because he's a Rangers man and loves his club and blah blah blah, blah. he has to say all these things he's, he's clever and he says all the right things Um but the proof of the pudding and all of that, and I don't think Rangers fans will will condemn him for losing on Sunday. Although a lot of them think he picked the wrong team, um, and his team weren't great at all on Sunday. I think next season will will be when he's judged. They'll take comfort in the fact that since he took over, they've gone in the fourteen league games, they've gone toe to toe with Celtic. Haven't scored as many goals as Celtic, but they've had the same number of points. So they will take comfort from that but they will know post-Sunday that there's still a gulf between these teams and Rangers need new blood and they need it for next season um, The role of honour uh, Rangers have won 55 Celtic have won 52 if, if Celtic win as you expect this year it'll be 53 is this something that comes up in conversation the the nine in a row was obviously a big deal Rangers did that uh, these things when there's not much between sides these things tend to matter a bit more yeah, well, we're, we're going into we're going into choppy waters now, Jer. Um, <laughs> Obviously, Sevco uh, is that am I? Yeah. Well, uh, Celtic. Some some Celtic fans will say the fifty five number is uh, is inaccurate. Um, but 
Uh, yeah, let's not dwell on that. I think more, more, more so it's the, it's the 10 in a row. Uh, that's the kind of the holy grail because Celtic and Rangers have obviously both both reached nine, both reached, reached nine in a row and, not, and none of them have got to 10 in a row. Uh, I'm not saying Postacogna's team are going to get to 10 in a row. Absolutely not. Um, but um, but look, any any record that one has over the other, they will they will milk it, you know. Um, but in the here and now, uh, I think Celtic fans will be thinking as long as Postacoglu is at the club, that's that Rangers won't get near them. And I think there is there's a there's an element of truth in that because his signings have been so on the money, and it's only. Rangers, Rangers had a, when they won the league, they had an outstanding season, but simultaneously Celtic were imploding, and they were making a ton of bad decisions. Celtic at the moment are a club that are making a ton of good decisions, and until they start making bad ones, I can't see Rangers overtaking them. And is Dermot Desmond likely to open the purse strings, release them a little bit for for Ange, given that there is success and he has at various stages in the past been occasionally. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess I'll just get Dermot on the phone now. He loves he loves talking to journalists. Um, uh, I think. Well, one of the more impressive things, Jar, about about what Postecoglou has done is that they sold Odson Edward and they sold Christopher Iyer, and they got thirty something million, thirty five, thirty six million for the two of them. He's largely rebuilt his entire team uh, on that money. Largely, not exclusively, but largely. So it's not like he's come in and they've given him an extra 30 or 40 million to throw at the team. There's been an awful lot of trading going on. That's what's really impressive. Um, very little money has been wasted by Pasta Congo in the transfer market. So I, don't, I think Dermot Desmond obviously has been, a, uh, has been a huge part of Celtic for, for many, many years now. But it's not through largesse that they're achieving this. All right. Tom, great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. It's uh, Tom English there, BBC Sports, giving us his thoughts on the old firm and uh, the uptick in fortunes of the Scottish rugby team. Saw that a lot of pyro um, activity at the match of the weekend. Was there? Some organised and some not organised. The second half, there was rock, kind of rockets being fired over the pitch and fireworks and this sort of thing. So reaches a point where like, is this? Is this dangerous or is this a really good atmosphere? Uh, Probably somewhere in between, but I mean... Fringing. It's fringing. Uh, 16 minutes past nine this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. We'll get to your comments in just a moment. We're going to talk about the situation with the Wexford Hurlers with Tom Dempsey uh, after the break. Here's what's on the OTB Sports Podcast Network for you. Uh, The latest episodes of the Hurling and Football Pods are available right now. Monday Night Rugby with Ireland's James Ryan and you can follow off the ball across our social channels. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Up next, as I said, uh, Tom Dempsey talking to us about Wexford Clare at the weekend. OTB AM It's 18 minutes past nine. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and a reminder, OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, one of the big stories coming out from the hurling weekend was the annihilation of Wexford by Clare. To get the Wexford perspective, I'm delighted to say Tom Dempsey is with us this morning. Tom, how are you keeping? Morning, Jar. How are you? It's great. It's been a bit of a bad week for me, Jar. My two great loves are Wexford hurling and Liverpool uh, FC. So I don't know which way to turn this week. Hopefully <laughs> there's brighter days ahead. Yeah, at least with Liverpool, they can sign some players. But Wexford, maybe, <laughs> maybe the injured players are the, the bit that you can hang your hat on. Um, you were at the game. For anybody who didn't see it, what, what was, was there an ebb and flow to it? Was it like, what happened? 
I, I think there were a couple of things happened, Gerald, and, and I have to be very fair with Claire as well. They, they were bad as all as it was for Wexford, but they were an absolute pleasure to watch. You know, the Tony Kellys, the Aidan McCarthy's, the John Conlans, they were just outstanding. They were like a team that were going out in the first round of the Munster Championship and, and some of their hurling was absolutely exquisite. So let's put that to bed. You know, they deserve a lot of credit for the way they played. I, what's happening, I think, at the moment, and I'm not looking for excuses. Wexford supporters, we we don't kind of determine our love for hurling, and there's an incredible passion, a bit like Kildare yourself, Ger, incredible passion for hurling down in Wexford as there is for football in Kildare, but it's not determined by success, but it is determined by competitiveness. And sadly, last weekend uh, we just weren't competitive, and I think it was the first time in a while that I've seen maybe Wexford supporters leaving at half time. Now, in fairness to the lads, Ger. Uh, like, I, I just looked down through the names. The one thing that we're missing a little at the moment is physicality and a little bit of experience. And, you know, we, Lee Ryan, Lee Chin, Rory O'Connor, Matthew O'Hanlon, Kevin Foley, Mark Fanning, our goalkeeper, and then some of the new, younger fellas, Oshin Foley, Richie Lawler, Connor Devitt, they, they were all in the dugout or they were all in the stand. And probably compared maybe to the Limericks, to the Clares even of this world, we don't have the strength and depth. So, what, what, what I think happened, and not to labour the answer, was that we went out without really our structure to our team. And my father used to always say that if you want to give young lads a run, put in 10 or 11 of your team and then put three or four young fellas in to give them a go. And I think what happened was when things went wrong, they went badly wrong. And maybe there wasn't that bit of experience on the field to, to turn it around. But that, that's no, no form of an excuse because at the moment, Ger, we're we're not competing. We weren't competing and we didn't have any great style to our play last weekend. I think the main concern might be that this is a return to the dark days when the great Kilkenny team were handing out, as Sean Moran used to refer to them, the punishment beatings as a matter of routine in the Leinster Championship and just how how damaging that was for hurling people and their passion is like there was no sense of there was it was a bit like the Leinster Football Championship in recent years there was no sense of possibility or hope like the season started with oh everything is a precursor to uh, a routine defeat and then for the last five, six, seven years that hasn't been the case so I, I, I suppose there's just those ghosts hanging around where that you really hope that isn't the case this time there, there is Jaron. <laughs> sadly Jer, we were born beside a monster and I, I'm not referring to Brian Cody now I'm referring to Kilkenny <laughs> you know we we I, I often feel, I remember, remember when Waterford um, were badly beaten in the All-Ireland final back in 2008. I, I, I just saying to some people coming out, I mean, we had to get used to that for years. And the, prom- the problem with Wexford when we were in that situation was that we were using Kilkenny as a barometer where we shouldn't have been. We should have been kind of using maybe teams that were lesser down the lines of barometer, but it didn't help us. And I think you've really hit the nail on the head. I, th- I think the lads will be back. I think one of the big problems is now that we haven't really formed our plan. I mean, a team needs to be playing, you know, for maybe four or five games before they actually formulate their plan. And I think that's going to be very very difficult so you've hit the nail on the head the problem at the moment and within the county at the moment is morale and confidence and uh, that's pretty much at a low ebb now at the moment but 
I would I would want to exempt. I remember if you don't mind me telling you, Jerry, I, I often think I was at half time last Sunday. I mean we were twenty points. They'd scored four seventeen. And I, I remember an old story, whether true or not, about Babs Keating, you probably remember it yourself, where he was in the dressing room, Cork were hammering Tipperary in a packed turlis, and Babs came in, gave him the blood and thunder speech, said, Look, lads, the bottom line is that we're in our own pitch, where's the pride in the jersey and that? And then he shouted, Are we going to win? to a muted response going out for the second half. He asked Joe uh, Hayes, Joe's a great character, are we going to win Joe Hayes? And Joe, Joe turned around calmly and he said, I think, Babs, if you were a betting man, your money would be on Cork at this stage, you know. And <laughs> I, I don't know how true that is, but I'd say that that feeling was with a lot of extra players last um, weekend. And the one bit of credit I give, they were a very young group of players, the one bit of credit I give, they went out and lost the se- second half by two points because I tell you, Wexford Park wasn't a nice place to be for a Wexford hurler last Sunday. Tom, if you're to analyse the, the the reasons for such a drubbing, like the, if you look at James Lawler's puckout strategy, clearly Clare were happy to sit and let them have the the short puckouts. But there was a couple of a couple of the goals, in fact, more than a couple of the goals came from those basic individual errors, just dropping the ball. I think David Clark and Simon Donahue maybe a couple, dropped a couple of um, slitters on a couple of occasions that led to goals. Is that the concerning thing that it's just basic individual it, errors? I I think so, Shane. I like. I'm, call me a dinosaur. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm in my early forties now, only joking. I'm, I'm in my late fifties now. And some people call me a dinosaur, but I think one thing that brought something home to me last weekend was, uh, the clear goalkeeper, um, just took a straightforward puck out at one stage in the first half. Ball went into our square, ball dropped and uh, Aidan McCarthy buried it. It took about three seconds. The way Wexford are playing at the moment, if the plan for the short puck out is not working, we're kind of, ta- you know, we're not kind of reverting to the long ball. And I think we need, you know, we need a, we need to kind of change our plan a bit. Like we would have had, Shane, four turnovers last weekend, probably from short puck outs. And it wasn't James Lawler's, it was the game plan. It was James Lawler was mm-hmm. doing what he was instructed but we were getting the ball, trying to bleed. You know, you're trying to go by the likes of um, uh, what do you call it, Peter Duggan, big men like this, and we were trying to beat him, move it on to the next fella, move it on to the next fella. When that wasn't working, and we had about four turnovers. I mean, Tony Kelly, these guys love that, uh, and goes. I think we should have changed our strategy and went long because at least if the ball is on the other end of the field, uh, it's a less danger than what we were doing last week. And so I think you really hit the nail in the head. The other strategy that we seem to have. We concede puckouts, but not only that, when Clare were winning ball, they were playing the ball across the full-back line, three to four to five. There was one point in the second half that John Conlon put the ball in the hurl, stopped. He actually stopped in the middle of the field. Nobody was going to him, and he just looked up and he picked somebody out. And I think if we don't start putting pressure up front to take pressure off the defence, we're going to have major problems. So, you know, I I think our, our strategy was wrong for last weekend and I think we need to be able to mix that up a little bit but that that depends on winning your ball but I think you've hit the nail on the head there Shane there was so many things wrong and we've been down this road before you know as you say Kilkenny have done this before and we had a great move with Davy. I, I just would not like to say that one swallow will define our summer I think when we get fellas back we there's one major thing that I think is going to be in our advantage Munster is hell's kitchen and that's, I would not like to be hurling in the Munster Championship. But if we can get it anyway right, we get the chins back, the Rory O'Connors back, but they, they need to come back very, very quickly. We can compete in Leinster because, let's be fair, it's not as competitive. I'm a Leinster man, but I have to admit it's not as competitive as Munster. So that's one major advantage to us over the next, you know, two months or, you know, month and a half or whatever, however long we're in the Leinster Championship. But certainly we need to have a plan B, maybe a plan C. But we were going back to the same thing that wasn't working last weekend and that really, really crucified us. 
are many of those players expected back in time for the championship? Well, my understanding is they trained. I, I'm a Buffers Alley man and a Glen Barrentown man. The kids play with Glen Barrentown here and they trained. Uh, I know Lee trained and I think it's a, a, a cautionary measure with Lee. Rory has been back training. He's a long-term injury. So I think they're all back training now. Uh, last weekend. And I think the pity for the younger fellas there, we, you know, I don't mean, I don't like to use the term lambs to the slaughter, but when you haven't got your structure, you haven't got your leechins, Hanlon is a great leader, you know, guys like that, Fanning is a, is a great goalkeeper. When you haven't got those guys there, it really does leave the young fellas in, in between a rock and a hard place. And that's what happened last weekend. But from my uh, information, the boys are back training. But the only problem is, uh, Jaron Shane, that you do need, and I think John Milan said last weekend, you do need three to four games to get yourself really right for championship. We're not going to have a great uh, run into it now in that we're playing Galway over in Salt Hill, which is arguably the, the toughest game in, in the Leinster championship. We, we have to get them back. If they're ready to come onto the field now, we have to get them back next weekend. Is there any talk in, within the county about Paulie Foley and Darry Egan seems yeah, to suggest that he's not I, home at the moment. You see, that, that's a difficult one because Paulie is, um, you know, if you were talking about team morale, so if somebody goes off to Australia, comes back two to three weeks before the championship, do you use him? Don't you use him? There's different views on that because it can cause problems to morale, but also he's one of the best hurlers we've had over the last number of years. And I think one of the things that he's very, very important for, I mean, the man is a huge man. Chin is a huge man. Matthew Hannon is a huge man. You know, Rory is a big fella. Uh, you know, these are all big men. These are the men that add physicality to the Wexford team. And this hasn't been there in the league so far. We've majorly had problems with physicality. But a short answer, as far as I know, at the moment, he won't be playing in the championship. He's still in Australia. But again, maybe somebody knows a bit more than I do uh, on that one. Can you take any strain of positivity? Out? <laughs> it might seem strange, but uh, a game like the weekend, Tom, because... You think back to the football we've talked about, Tyrone, you know, shipping six goals to Kerry in the league a couple of years ago and they ended up having a bit of a team bonding session that night and going on to win the All-Ireland later in the summer. So I'm not saying yeah. that's necessarily what's going to happen to Wexford, but maybe you can take yeah. something out of this and because it's such a drubbing, you can kind of reset. Well, as the song says, the only way is up after this, you know, but I think, you see, it's funny, Wexford are a peculiar county. Um, you know, we would have had a, an awful beating off Watford in the league semi-final last year. We then got ourselves going poorish enough performance against Dublin, but we're great people to reinvent ourselves. I mean, one thing I was just thinking, I, I think about Hurland 24-7, and when I'm not thinking about that, I'm thinking about Jorgen Klopp and how much I admire him, but we didn't win a minor title from 1985 to 2019. That's 34 years. So for a county that's not doing that, we've been doing very, very well, given that we, we got a good return out of the 13, you know, that three uh, under-21s in a row. We've been doing very, very well to reinvent ourselves, and all of a sudden then, when you think things are really bad, Wexford will come back and they'll beat a Kilkenny in Nolan Park as they did last year. So, look, the positives, th- to be honest with you, Shane, I, I, I couldn't take too many positives out of last um, Sunday because it was an almighty, I mean, 4.17 in the first half to 1.6 was probably as big a score as I've seen put up against Wexford, particularly in what we would call our, our little sanctuary, Wexford Park. There weren't too many positives. There were a couple of guys played okay. You know, I think Shane Rick did well. Um, you know, the likes of going up the field a bit. Cahill Dunbar had a good game midfield. And, uh, you know, the, the Rory Higgins tried hard. So I think the secret is if we had maybe six or seven of our starters last week, I think what he needs to do is decide on those six or seven and just hope, fingers crossed, that we'll get the other guys back and we'll get up and running for the Leinster Championship. And you know what? Not for the first time in Wexford. I, I, I would, um, 
I would be hoping more than be sure about what's going to happen next. Um, Jamie Domican's been in touch asking if Wexford could fall as far as Offaly have in recent years. I, I guess the, diff- the difference is that they're, the spine of the team is elite and it's whether or not you have enough players who are putting the rest of the work in. And I guess the other aspect of this is that um, you talked about the absence of a minor title. It's okay if you're reaching finals and if you're reaching quarterfinals and, and moving on and players are being developed. Uh, are the systems in place in your there view are, at the we, moment? We very, we, there, there are systems in place. And I have to say, it's, it's, it's not that there's not a lot of hard work going into the thing. And, you know, the management, very genuine fellas, Dara as well, very, very good guys putting a lot of work. And we have been competitive at minor level in that of course, we've Galway now on board in Leinster. That's going to, I'd say we were one of the counties where probably weren't one to see them, but I think it's right that they're in the minor championship in, in, in Wexford. We've a very good guys just taking over as well at the moment. Niall Williams, um, he's a Westmead man. He's, he's director of hurling. If I give him the right title, he's putting incredible structures in place. There's been incredible work done over the last few years. I, t- I, Jared, I, I don't know what it's like in Kildare, but I'd often like in both counties. We're not really getting there, but there's a huge amount of work, like from Kildare's point of view could you see where we are in Wexford I mean uh, you've opened a can of worms there Tom <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've hit me right in my heart I, I, I think um, I, I think that there has been a lot of effort made in Kildare it, the, there's been an absence of joined up thinking if you talk to people who have knowledge it seems to me for example that in Wexford you've got the systems in place you have a very progressive county board chairman who has like really I think, hit on something and identified what it is to be involved in Wexford GA. And so if there's a blip at the weekend, there's no chance of this turning into what happened to Offaly where there's lost generations. I would say you guys are further down the road well, in terms of the organisational off the field. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I would pray and hope that that, that, that Offaly situation, we're still te- the, the, the group of players and the team. Now, my worry is that the some of the players, some of our leaders are getting a little bit older, but we're still the group of players that could have beaten Clare last year in the All-Ireland quarterfinal that beat Kilkenny and Nolan Park. So, you know, I don't think we need to talk about that just at the moment, but there are a few things in Wexford that really infuriate me, Chair. Uh, and one of them, and I, I could take a bit like yourself, I could I could talk all morning about this, but there's one of the things, we, we have a cl- local club championship we have a split season in Wexford, right? And our club hurling needs to be strong for inter-county hurling to be strong. But we have a split season now, and I just look here at the local Glenbarrentown club. The hurling championship has run off probably in five, well, probably about eight weeks. But some of the teams are out of the championship after five weeks. Now, what that means is the club hurler was finished hurling last August, maybe August the 2nd, and the next competitive match would be Ju- would probably be July, which is nine or ten months away. And that is no way to develop club hurling. I don't think we have a hope of improving in that situation. And we come in with little rules, which I sometimes, we've changed the minor grade back to 18 this year. I know it's 17 in, um, in which I think is quite correct. It's 17 uh, uh, nationwide or nationally. But Wexford put in then the kicker. Everybody wanted back to 18. Wexford put in a kicker that an 18-year-old then, fellow that was under 18, couldn't play adult with his club. That's grand for the elite player that's getting plenty of matches. But I was talking to a young guy at the weekend. He plays for a, a non-fashionable club. His minor team next year are not going to be, you know, they'll be gathering players to get games. They won't go very far, maybe get three or four games. So he can play adult level for his club and I just think that's crazy I think we're not thinking through some of the decisions we're making that's not going to develop that young player and uh, 
It just sometimes you sit back and you're perplexed by all this and saying, where do they come up with some of the, some of the ideas really? You know, and that, you know, there's, there's a hundred different things that, that I think could be improved. But the GAA for me, great organization, whatever, but sometimes they're bringing out rules that, that are hamstringing themselves really, you know. Yeah, there's definitely an, uh, a period of unintended consequences of the split seasons that we're going to have to work through over the next couple yeah. of years and, and try and find common sense answers to most of the problems. But Tom, great stuff. Great to have you with us. And I'm um, sorry yeah, for your trouble on the Liverpool front. Uh, look, lads, I have absolute confidence in Jurgen Klopp, I should say. I think he's going to bring us back. And listen, it's an absolute pleasure. Keep up the good work, lads. It's absolutely brilliant. Well Thanks done. a million. Keep Cheers. Let's, uh, Tom. Wexford legend Tom Dempsey giving us some thoughts on the current situation. Uh, on tomorrow's show, we have Phil Healy talking to us about the boom in Irish athletics at the moment. Keith Wood, I might put that point to him earlier about the process versus outcome. Um, we'll have uh, Kathleen McNamee's updated Irish women's national team power rankings plus plenty more as well besides um, some of your comments from earlier on uh, Eric Lawler United fans have been in touch yeah morning I see the debate over Bruno and off the ball how is it even a debate Bruno's been brilliant a real leader worked so hard and has even stepped up his goal contributions under Eric Ten Hag tell your pals in there I'm not having it I'm not I'm with you Eric I'm with you um, understand Philip Nolan says more Man United lads give the people what they want See, is he being sarcastic? No, I, don't, I actually don't think he is. The talk, I, I listened to a podcast called Talk of the Devils with Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell, guys who've been on the show before. Um, presented to Magic Shadow Podcast. It's gone to number one in the UK in terms of football podcasts. When teams are doing well, people want to hear more and more about them. Um, so, yeah, it's just in the nature. United fans are on a buzz at the moment that uh, won't seem to dissipate. Ronan Conlon says Fernandez is massively overrated. Ah, stop. No, not a chance is he massively overrated. If anything, it's the opposite. He gets a lot of hate and criticism. Um, he's been he's been imperative to United's rise, if you want to call it this that this season. Eric Ten Hag is the fulcrum, clearly. There was a lovely video where he had a chat with Kobe Mainu, one of the young United players. I don't know if you saw that after the match. and He's like hugging him, pointing at the lads, uh, parading the trophy. and I don't know what he said to me. He's all, he suggests that he said to him, this is, this is what is ahead of you. Um, but he's he, people love him in the club. Bruno and... Harry Maguire were coming down the steps of the plane with Ten Hag in the middle, Ten Hag holding the cup, and he was wearing a hat. I was like, who's the guy in the middle? He looked different, didn't he? I didn't recognise him at all. Yeah, bald I, is best. I did not recognise him. I was like, uh, who's the Picky Blinders fella? <laughs> who's the, like, you know, what was your man, Carl, whatever his name, he used to um, join the team photographs? Yeah. He looked completely different. Fairly dapper looking. I wouldn't mind seeing him with a wig just to see what the difference is. I've seen, him, I've seen photos of him cycling around Manchester with a helmet on, and I was like, oh, is that... Is that right tonight? So, uh, yeah, he looks he different. definitely feeling himself. Alan O'Neill says, Tommy and Derek, what a lineup. And Zen TV says, Ange isn't going anywhere anytime soon, Shane. So he says, unless the surprise, as uh, Tom English was pointing out, was <laughs> um, that actually... The other way. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But if Spurs come, I think Spurs are going to be looking for a manager in the, in the off-season. I think they're going to qualify for the Champions League and I think Conte's going to go. I think that that's a strong possibility at this stage. I think Ange wants to succeed with Celtic in, in European football first. Like You look at the Graham Potter, like Graham Potter had Chelsea calling and maybe he shouldn't have gone. Hindsight again. Uh, you know, he's, he's uh, set up for life. Well, financially, yeah, but uh, where's his next job after Chelsea? Well, I don't know. Uh, it could be anywhere. And I think he'll still be... A, if he's written his contract correctly, he'll be on offset money. And he'll be uh, Chelsea will be paying him for the whole seven years. Yeah, fair. Uh, I love Tom as a guest and a pundit. A shifty lad. Uh, Tom F1 in Dublin 1 says, That was great, Derek. I always believed Ross's passing wasn't as accurate. Then again, I'm a rank amateur. Stats are there to back it up. Game plan of team with different 10s could also be a factor. I think, look, loads of stuff factors into your 
understanding of the analytics and all we're trying to do is say that there's another way of analysing the game than the it's about passion and it's about heart and it's a, it's just a fight. I think there's more to it than that and hopefully we're, we're bringing some of that out. Uh, we were on the game in time, uh, ball in play time, three weeks before it was voguish, but everybody's talking about it all the time now. So anyway, uh, OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 